Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. We are continuing our journey, our retrospective into the year 1995 in film. It's part six of that series. We're going to be talking about the m- movie that was not first at the Oscars, but was first alphabetically at the Oscars, and that's Apollo 13. Manny, I think we're both very excited about this one. This is one that uh, I myself have been waiting for for a long time. How do you feel today? I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. I was uh, looking forward to revisiting this, and um, yeah, looking forward to talking about it. Cool beans. Well, we got lots to talk about today, not just this movie. So uh, we are going to dive into it right away. Manny, uh, if people want to find us on social media, where can they do so? Uh, they can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can email us at Sam Manny movie podcast at gmail.com. They can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. If they would remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star review and a positive review, it will increase our profile, allow more people to find us, which we would love. Uh, A couple of housekeeping items before we get going. Number one, forgot to even bring this up with you before, Manny, but uh, a very happy St. Patrick's Day to all of our listeners who may pretend to be Irish today. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry that in many parts of the country and indeed many parts of the world, you are not able to go out and celebrate properly today. But uh, happy St. Patty's Day to you nonetheless. But more importantly than that, I think significantly more important than that, something excellent happened this week that normally happens about two months earlier. Yes. But we finally got, Manny, the nominations for the 93rd academy awards yes that's right the oscar nominations came out this week (sighs) manny how are we looking at this year's uh at this year's noms how are we feeling about them (sighs) well i'm happy because mank led with 10 nominations Mm -hmm. but i'm really really hesitant about the actual show itself and while I will, of course, watch it, I just don't think it's going to resonate with me the way that past Oscar presentations have. I'm really not looking forward to a virtual show. I'm not looking forward to watching people on Zoom accept their Oscars. I just don't think it's going to be as meaningful for me as it normally is. Uh, I won't lie, I am also going to miss the fashion of the Oscars, which was a minor thing that I enjoyed about the Oscars. I would say it's about a 2% part of my enjoyment, maybe even up to 5%. What, you don't don't want to see Gary Oldman accept the award for Best Actor wearing a wife beater? Not particularly. With mustard stains on it? Not particularly. He's not winning anyways. But Mm. I I don't know, I'm just... I'm, I'm excited for the nominations... I was excited for the nominations to get them. I was excited to look through them, and we're going to quickly discuss uh, a bunch of them right now. But I- I- I'm 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 worried about the show. I won't lie. I don't care about viewership. I could give a shit about the viewership. If you know, I I think I can't remember what last year's numbers were for viewing. Probably in the twenty million ish. If I'm not mistaken. See if I can find it for you. Twenty three point six four million. Wow, that's a really good guess. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, you're probably looking at the Wikipedia page like I am. Yeah. Uh, I don't care about the dwindling numbers, and I, I've said this before. 
I, I think the Oscars and the Academy should just embrace being the celebra- celebration it is for the industry that it has. Don't try and – I understand why they have to because the more viewers they have, the more money they get from ad revenue, from selling the show to the networks, and from people being on there. And if, if I'm not mistaken, I still – despite the dwindling numbers, I still think this is the second most, most watched show after the Super Bowl. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Like twenty three point six, that's significantly higher than the than the season, the series finale of Game of Thrones, which was thirteen point something. Yeah, but that number probably would have been higher if the last season of the Game of Thrones didn't suck ballsack. True, but it's it the the Oscars is always one of the most watched things on TV every year. I think this year not the case. I think it's going to be pretty low. Uh, but, how, how much lower are we talking? Are you are you willing to uh, are you willing to set a line? Uh, are you good, are you going to set an over under line for me, and I'll tell you, or do you want me to guess what I think it's going to be? Honestly, I'm ter- I'm terrible with these numbers. I would embarrass myself setting the line. So why don't you just give me give me a ballpark? I think it's going to be less than half. I would I I think they will barely crack ten million. Ten million. Yeah, that that would be a significant reduction, all right. I do. If if this is not a like if it's not an in-person live broadcast with all those celebrities in there, I don't think they're going to I think they'll probably just crack 10 million. That's mm-hmm. my that's my guess. I take it you will be one of those 10 million. 100%. Though, yep, 100%. Yeah, I likely will too. At least for the first little bit. If we get into it and it's really bad, I might just get the updates on Twitter. <laughs> no, I'll be I'll be watching the whole thing. and i'll probably be live texting with rachel through the whole thing yeah as we did last year that's fun i wonder if i could set something oh yeah i could set something i could set something up i could put up a we could do a little uh little podcast group chat uh watch party of sorts totally i could we could do it on uh we could just set up a separate facebook group for, mm-hmm. the, for those that want to join, so they're not getting a shit ton of notifications. Ooh, little virtual watch party. I'm into that. All right, I'm gonna. We'll set that up. What day are we looking at? Uh, it's Sunday, the twenty, April twenty fifth. April twenty fifth. Yeah, I can do that. All right. Okay, we'll tentatively plan it. <laughs> uh, okay. You heard let's... it here first, folks. All right. So if you don't get invited, don't worry. We probably just don't like you. If any of our listeners out there would like to join us. Send me a message on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. And when we set up what we're going to do, I will add you. If any of our listeners want to join us watching the Oscars, message me and I will nice make plug. it happen. Good excuse for a plug. I love that. Yeah. That's good. Uh, okay, let's get into it. Sam, I think you said there was eight nominees for Best Picture. Eight nominees, yeah. So we have The Father. Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. So I'm missing three of those. Me too. But Oh, which are, which are you missing? One, two, oh, no, sorry. I'm missing four. Never mind. Yeah. I thought I was missing three. You're missing Minari as well then, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, the only, that's the only one. The rest uh, that, we've, that we've both seen are Mank, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah. And Judas and the Black Messiah was actually going to watch this week, but mm. I got invited out to hang out with friends, so I have to put aside my. Oh wait, no, never mind. I've got Sunday. I've got Sunday off and no kids, so I'm going to punch out a bunch of movies. Beautiful. I know. 
I'm so happy I don't have a kid this weekend. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, tentative favorite, you think, out of those for uh, for Best Picture? Oh, it's Nomadland in a Runaway. Is it? Oh, yeah, in a Runaway. I haven't been keeping up with the buzz particularly. I would have assumed by the way you casually tossed out uh, Mank as the one with the most nominations, I would have assumed that would have been a front runner. Mm -mm. No, Mank, Mank poss oh, I was going to say possibly could get shut out, but I don't think it will. I think it's going to win Best Supporting Actress. For Amanda mm. Seyfried. Uh, best director, we have Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Oh, do you have... Oh, you haven't been following the buzz, but out of those movies, considering you've only seen four, mm. do you have a pick? Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, you have been uh, raving on about Nomadland. In particular, the two uh, 2020 releases, or technically 2020 releases that uh, have been on my radar that I haven't seen are Minari and Nomadland. And I know there's been a lot of buzz behind both of those. I know we talked a little bit about Minari when you watched it as one that you found. Uh, I would, I don't, I don't think you would say it was overrated, but it certainly wasn't one that resonated with you. Correct. Um, but the, the meta score uh, is quite high. So that usually tells me that there's quite a lot of critic consensus behind it. And there's usually a lot of, uh, um, industry buzz, I suppose, behind it. So I think Minari would be sort of a trendy pick other than Nomadland, but I, I also very much trust your judgment as far as uh, what's going to be the favorite. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> there, I trust you. I said it. Is you there happy? is there any movie that you feel should have gotten a Best Picture nom since they got room for two more? Yeah, so uh, for those who don't know, uh, the Oscars switched, what would have been, uh, Manny, 2009 would have been the first year? Yeah. That they, yeah, so they used to just do five nominees just like every other category, uh, but they switched it so that they could have anywhere between five and ten depending on uh, what got the votes to make it. Um, as far as, I pulled up my, uh, my letterbox diary with all the movies that I watched in 2020, and I don't think there's any really um that i would put in there i think they i think they pretty well nailed it um the best movie i watched that could have been on this list that isn't is pieces of a woman yeah. and i don't think it's good enough to crack the list so i think i think they got it right i agree pieces of a woman is the only one obviously you and i would have mangrove on there but yes they, they decided to make themselves eligible for the emmys instead which is just a fucking travesty <laughs> it is a travesty uh, yeah. yeah. So, pieces of a woman. I'm on, like, I'm on the fence. I don't think it was robbed of a nomination. But if it made the list, I wouldn't have been like, "What the fuck is it doing on there?" Yeah, exactly. I I could have taken it or leaving it. The fact that it's omitted from the list isn't really a problem for me. Mm. All right. So, best director we have Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Thomas mm. Vinterberg for Another Round, buddy. Which is surprising. I know. And Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. So all with... of that does all of that does is reinforce that I really do need to watch another round. <laughs> it's one that you've recommended to me time and again mm -hmm. as one that I specifically would like from last year. I really do um, think, and I don't have a reason. I just think it's a movie that you will thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, I, I I'm uh, I'm very intrigued by it. So I'm I'm shocked. Honestly, I didn't think it was that kind of movie. I said with air quotes over that kind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I didn't really think it was considered to be in the same league as these other ones, but I am very interested now. So most likely from everything I hear, it's Chloe. this is Chloe Zhao's award as well. We have two women nominated. 
So that's Yay. that's nice. And then we have uh, a person of color as well. Is it okay for me to say a person of color if they're Asian? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, it's sad to even make this distinction, but person of color is usually used interchangeably with non-white, is it not? I think so. I don't I think know. It's, I think it's correct. Yeah. Get, if someone called me a person of color, would I find that offensive? I don't think I would. Since I'm, I think I think I've heard you self-identify as a person of color before, haven't right. I? Sure. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's go with that. Um, Identity. It's tough. I don't know. I honestly don't know who I would take out of this list, but I. Oh, actually, you know what? There is actually a Best Picture nominee that I was actually surprised not to see in here. Uh, I forgot to say it was actually One Night in Miami. Oh yeah, another one I didn't see. Yeah, I, I again, I'm not, uh, I'm not really angry that it's not on here. I was just a little surprising, surprising. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess maybe uh, a best director nominee for Regina King for One Night in Miami, uh, because she had. It was basically kind of converting a play and turning it into a film that was actually that made it feel like a film instead of a play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have been surprised to have seen her nominated on here, but uh, so I, the shock for me is Thomas Vinterberg for another round. That, yeah, that's, that's really surprising to me. As somebody who has not seen the movie, that's a that I don't feel like was getting the the proper buzz uh, beforehand. Um, off the top of my head, looking at some of the better movies I watched this year. Uh, what do you think about Darius Martyr not getting uh, a, a nomination for director? Is that a snub? Is that expected? Um, would you have maybe substituted him in there as a homer pick? Uh, how do you feel about that? Mm. The Sound of Metal is one that I found to be unexpectedly subtle and a, a movie that had a very surprising tone to it, let's say. Yeah. But, it, uh, it, it and it used a lot of the tools at its disposable uh, disposal. Excuse me. It used a lot of things to do with sound and the visuals, and obviously pulling an amazing performance out of Riz Ahmed. That feels like uh, a pretty strong directorial achievement in my mind. It does. Uh, I could see him getting in there instead of Vinterberg. <clears throat> I won't take him over. <clears throat> There's no way I would put him over. Uh, Lee Isaac Chung, Emerald Fennel, Fincher, or Chloe. All right, I can't. I can't say anything about Chloe Zhao because I haven't seen Nomadland. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I, I can't take. Uh, I, 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 can't take him over those other three. Not, a, not a chance. Yeah, fair enough. So I don't know. He could possibly re- replace Vinterberg for me. We'll see. All right, reasonable. Uh, best actor. Uh, we have Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Young for Minari. You recoiled when I suggested uh, Gary Oldman accepting this award uh, via Zoom. Uh, who's the Who's the runaway? It's Chadwick Boseman in a in a landslide. Yeah, I, I suspected <clears throat> as much. Uh, is it? I realize this might be an incendiary comment that I'm going to say, but I'm going to ask it as somebody who has not seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Is it the best performance of these five? Yes. Or is it yes. uh, situational, no. shall we say? No. He's, it's really that good? He's spectacular. Okay. It, when you watch it, when I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Chabak had already passed away. And you're watching it going, 
we just lost one of the greatest actors of this generation. He just continually got better in every movie that he was in. And knowing that we've now lost him forever, it's obviously it's a travesty to lose such a, like to lose a person Mm. selfishly as a film fan for us to lose a a person with this kind of talent who was just climbing. I'm putting this in the same ranks as when we lost Heath Ledger coming Mm. off of Brokeback Mountain and The Dark Knight. Interesting. I I honestly feel that Heath Ledger was on his way to becoming probably one of, if not the greatest actor of, of that generation. I think he would have absolutely blown everything. I, I think the only person that could have gave him a run for his money was Leo. I, I think I think I, I think Heath Ledger was on his way to just absolutely becoming a, a fucking legend in the industry. <laughs> And you know what? That's probably a pretty apt comparison because, as you recall, Heath Ledger uh, posthumously won the Oscar uh, Best Supporting Actor for uh, his his, well, I can't talk right now. His portrayal of the Joker uh, in The Dark Knight. So, um, wouldn't be surprised to see them go a similar direction with Chadwick Boseman, especially if it's as good as you say. Do you have any snubs for this category? Excellent question. Um, Not really. I think my favorite performance this year. If I was to pick, uh, probably would be Riz Ahmed, Sound, Sound of Metal, mm-hmm. um, just as a, as a personal favorite. Um, I would also, of course, I can't remember the, the gentleman's name in uh, Mangrove, but we already established, of course, that he wouldn't have been eligible because they're going to the Emmys instead of the Oscars. But that was another excellent performance this year, the lead in Mangrove. Um, other than that, I think pretty solid. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I have any complaints about this category. I have a big one. Okay. It's Delroy Lindo from The Five Bloods. I think it's an absolute oh, travesty. Shit, eh? An absolute travesty that he is not in this category. You know what? I was kind of just expecting to find him in uh, supporting, so I wasn't really thinking about it too much. But, yeah, he's uh, he's noticeably absent. Yes. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a good look, I won't lie. That's really, that's really too bad. The problem is, is I don't know who I take out. So I haven't seen Anthony Hopkins for the for the father, but I'm not taking out Riz Ahmed. I'm not taking out Bozeman. I'm not taking out Stephen Yun. The only problem, Stephen Yun, he's not going to win because I, I I like to I like to refer to this as the Tom Wilkinson problem, the the in the bedroom. It's the mm-hmm. subtle performance. Ooh, it's I not... love that the Tom Wilkinson problem. I love I love that title for it. Yeah, it's he doesn't have he doesn't have that big in your for your consideration moment. It's just an incredibly great performance in a film, but it doesn't have like I I'm gonna be interested in to see what clip they play. Where in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I can tell you numerous moments. I don't know which one they're gonna pick because there's so many. Like he is on fire in that film. Hmm. Same, like oh, that's funny. That that is. I didn't mean to cut you off, yeah. but that's a that's a phenomenon that we have uh, referenced many times on this show, where um, the quality of the performance is, of course, always taken into consideration by the Academy. But often these more subtle performances uh, that don't have a big yelling scene mm-hmm. uh, will sort of get left at the wayside, uh, and and the subtlety will sort of be. Uh, the wash over the heads of, of some of the voters. And we've never had a name for it before. I love that. The Tom Wilkinson it's problem. It's funny. It's actually the first time I've I've kind of referenced it that way, but that's the performance I always think of, that mm-hmm. when I see a very great, subtle performance that 
might possibly get a nomination, but is never going to win because it doesn't have that showy moment. Like, I think Tom Wilkinson's performance in In the Bedroom is fucking superb. But I knew he was never going to win because he doesn't have a showy moment. It's just a really fantastic performance. He does have that one yelling match. I think it's that there's that one yelling scene he has with his wife in the kitchen. Yeah, she- I guess that's true. But the rest of the time, it's just a great. I fucking fuck. I love that movie. I need to watch that movie again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I think Delroy Lindo. Uh, I guess if like I can't take out Anthony Hopkins because I haven't seen it. So the four performances. I guess I would have to take out Gary Oldman's for Mank, but I still think that that's an amazing performance, but there's no way he's going to win because he's already won. And sadly, politics plays in plays into the fucking Academy, which is fucking sad. Yeah, he won for Darkest Hour, what is that, 2017? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think he, I think he's absolutely... This nomination for him as Herman Mankiewicz in Mank, I think is 100% worthy. Mm-hmm. But... I agree. I, I say that as somebody who is kind of lukewarm on Mank, as you recall. But mm-hmm. I think Gary Oldman was one of the best parts of that movie. Mm-hmm. So best actress, we have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andrew Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. Frances McDormand for Nomadland. And Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. I've seen three of these performances. Uh, two for me. I'm missing uh, Viola Davis. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a two-horse race between Mulligan and McDormand. And I think Mulligan's going to pull off an upset because McDormand already has two wins. Yeah, I was just going to say, is it really an upset? I don't know. Uh, I, haven't McDorm- seen, I haven't seen Nomadland, but everything I hear, mm-hmm. like a lot of people say that this is actually her best performance. Wow. Yeah. That, that's high praise because you know how I feel about both Fargo and Three Billboards Outside of Missouri. Mm-hmm. You know how I feel about those movies and I those know. in particular. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of uh, another female performance that I would like in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big like I'm a big fan of Carrie Mulligan's performance, and I'm also a huge fan of Vanessa Kirby's performance. I really liked her in Pieces of a Woman. Yeah, a great year for women in film, I think. Yeah, um, which has actually it's... been a nice trend. Sorry to cut you off, but the no, last like no. last three four years, this Best Actress race has always been it's been pretty fucking delicious. Yeah, um, I've got no complaints about this category. I don't think I'm looking through all of my twenty one or twenty twenty watches, and uh, I don't see anything I would sub out here. Yeah, I'm um, with you. Yeah, solid. Um, best Supporting Actor, we have Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Rocky, I, th- I think it's Rocky or could be Racy. I've heard both, so I guess we'll have to wait till the actual awards. Last time you said Paul Rocky, you sounded so certain about it. I know, but then I heard <laughs> another podcast that is actually that is deep in the industry who actually interview, like they talk to the celebrities and stuff like that. And he pronounced it racy. Oh. But one of the other ones on the same, like not on the same podcast, but another highly reputable podcast, again, with people in the actual industry, pronounced it racy. So I've heard Rocky and racy. Hmm. So I don't know which That's way to go. Peculiar. Yeah. And then we have Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, this is Daniel I- Kaluuya's, in a, again, in a runaway. Really? Oh, yes. Yes. 
Yes. I just watched uh, Daniel Kaluuya in uh, in Widows uh, not too long ago, as you recall. Um, is Daniel Kaluuya one of our finest up-and-coming actors? Yes. Or is he even considered an up-and-comer if he's just nominated for Best Supporting Actor and is probably going to win it? Like, he has... Uh, I think with Get Out, he really broke onto the scene. Mm-hmm. And then he's just been silently one of the best young actors in Hollywood. <laughs> is that fair to say? He got nominated for Widows, didn't he? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. Look into that. I feel like he didn't. I feel like I would have remembered if he got nominated for Widows, but I, I, I've been wrong before. Interesting. Let's see. Academy Awards. Uh, no, just for Get Out and Judas and the Black Messiah. All right. Oh, right. The nomination was for for Get Out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's it's his. It's basically his. I I won't lie. Like I don't. I like these performances, but this is usually the category that gets me the most excited. And I I, I won't lie. I'm kind of a little bit let down. I like the performances, but usually this is the one I love the most. But yeah, I th- I think it's Daniel Kaluuya's to lose, in my opinion. Uh. Do you remember who Mr. Kaluuya lost to in the best uh, in the best actor category for Get Out? He was up for best actor. Oh, I guess best that makes for, sense. Best actor for Get Out, yeah. Twenty seventeen, he would have lost to uh, uh, Gary Oldman for. He Darkest would Hour. have lost to Gary Oldman. Absolutely, he would. Yeah. Uh, we have best supporting actress uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, which means I have to watch that movie now. Uh, yeah, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, uh, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the name, so I apologize to our Korean people out there. Uh, Yoon Young Jun for Minari. Only have one of these myself, unfortunately. Wow. Oh, I guess you do. Oh fuck! I have to watch Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> I was surprised you uh, you just blew on by that. Oh fuck me. Oh, directed by Ron Howard. We should talk about one of his movies someday. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we should. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that took you longer than I expected. Uh, okay, uh, from my understanding, uh, this is actually another... I, I, I like all the... I've, I've actually heard that the frontrunner for this is actually Maria Bakalova. Really? Yes. Huh. She's one numerous awards already uh i imagine it's a comedic performance yes hmm yes that's that's very interesting yes i'm i'm i haven't heard much about borat too i'm i just don't want to watch it but now i have to and now i also have to watch hillbilly lg i'm not fucking happy about this did you watch borat one i imagine you must have i did and i actually enjoyed it at the time um, mm-hmm. But then the popularity and the resulting everybody talking like him led me to <laughs> dislike that film. Yeah, that's fair. I, that's one that I think is very much a product of the time. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Borat 2, but Borat 1 just was very, like, very much a product of the Bush era. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was very much a reflection of America at that time. And I, I imagine Borat 2 is probably much the same. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, I'm gonna quickly go. Well, here's here's the I guess another one that we should talk about. Best animated feature film. We have Onward, Over the Moon, A Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolf Walkers. Uh, I think this is pretty much Souls walking away. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's 
particularly close. No. Uh, Wolfwalkers, they obviously never revealed the results, but I think Wolfwalkers is the only one that will give it a run. Uh, Onward does not deserve to be on this on this well, list. Well, it's it's interest it's interesting to say actually. Let's let's live in a reality for a second where we're entertaining that soul might lose. Um the way that that would happen is if uh the Pixar vote is split between uh Soul and Onward, is it not? So in, in that case, maybe we see a dark horse uh Wolfwalkers take it away. It's possible, but I don't I don't I don't think any oh well, I shouldn't say anybody. I don't think a lot of people are putting Onward at the top of their list. Yeah, and I, I guess the other thing that happens is I think the Oscars do ranked choice voting, right? So if yeah, they don't called, just have to pick their favorite, they can actually list them off. They have to list them off. So the the phenomenon of splitting the vote doesn't really exist in the Oscars. It it can. Mm-hmm. You, you got to think it, it it's it's called a preferential ballot. So you mm-hmm. do have to rank them and the rankings are very important. So safe if some people do give onward the vote, um, but their second favorite film is Wolfwalkers instead of Soul, that's where Wolfwalkers can can sneak in. That's the difference. Yeah. Yep. Um. So yeah, I've, I've got three of these. I have to watch Over the Moon, which I just was researching. It is on Netflix, so I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna knock this one out pretty quick as well. A Sean Ooh. the Sheep movie. I haven't done. I haven't taken a look at to see where it's available. Probably wonder if I could. Oh, Do you try to watch all of the best animated features each year as well? I don't, but I'm gonna start. Nice. I'm gonna start. They will not be high on the priority list. I will always prioritize watching the best picture nominees and the acting categories over top yeah. of the animateds. Um, especially if I've watched the one that I think is gonna win, which I or at least the the top contenders, which in my opinion are only two. Mm. So. Um, I I have a I have an eligibility question actually. Yeah. Uh, I wanna because if we're talking about Mank, Mank did not have a wide release this year, right? It did. Well, it didn't play in theaters at all. Yeah. So that's what, what I'm asking is obviously under normal circumstances that would eliminate it from contention. However, given that the world was on fire last year, <coughs> the Academy has made an exception. Correct. So my my question is. I'm looking at the best documentary feature category and I'm noticing the notable absence. I watched three documentaries this year, which just blew my mind, which were exceptional. Those three were um, in, in order from least mind blowing to most mind blowing the social dilemma boys state and Dick Johnson is dead. Mm -hmm. I noticed none of those in this category in Mm -hmm. best documentary feature. And I suspected that it would have been because they were streamers, but nope. then I remembered that Mank is nominated. So they're just they're just straight up omitted. They're just straight up omitted, my friend. They were that not is, they were not good enough. That is disgusting. <laughs> I or, hate everything about that. Or shouldn't you be like, if these five documentaries are better, maybe I should check those ones out as I well. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> Actually, uh, in all seriousness, I almost watched uh, Crip Camp this week. I, I wound up uh, picking something else. I've heard Crip Camp is absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. And actually, I've heard that my octopus teacher is as well. The other ones, Collective, The Mole Agent, and Time, I haven't heard of them. Do I, do I love documentaries now? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've never hated them, but I might, I might love them now. Mm. The... 
Academy finally decided to stop confusing everybody, and they uh, finally merged their two sound categories, sound mixing and sound editing, into one category for best sound. Thank God I don't have to pretend to know the difference anymore. And I'm pretty sure we can slot in Sound of Metal as the winner. Yep, Sound of Metal has to. There's no way. God, Hillbilly Elegy got another nomination? God damn it, I'm going to have to... <laughs> You're going to have to watch it. Fuck that. What What is it that has you resistant to it? I've heard it's fucking horrible. Really? The reviews are bad. It's mm. got like a 57 Metascore or something like that. And a couple of the reviewers that I enjoy... Dude, it's worse than that. Yeah, is it in the 40s? It's in the 30s. 38. Fuck. See? And now I have to watch it. That's amazing. That is actually incredible. Yeah. Um Speechless. The only other category that I really wanted to touch on uh was actually best original score. Uh so we have The Five Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World and Soul. This is my worry because I really want Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to win. This is where I'm worried about them splitting the vote because they've got two nominations in the same year. So they are not. I'm I'm currently trying to find the best original score category. Go to the bottom. I've caught up. Got it. This is where I I honestly don't know which one I want them to win for, but I think I want them to win for Soul. I want them to win for Soul, personally. I yeah. mean, A, I should mention, those are the only two movies in the score category that I've seen. <laughs> um, but the score for Soul uh, is one of my favorites in years. One of my favorites in years. It's absolutely exceptional. I might give Mank a rewatch. I might give it another go, and maybe I'll report back to you on the score, too, but... Soul uh, was probably my favorite score this last year, I would imagine. Uh, that's all the categories that I really wanted to dive into. Did you have anything else that you wanted to touch on, my friend? Uh, no, I think everything else is pretty straightforward. I think best visual effects, Tenet, is going to be a runaway. Um, yeah, neither of us really care about best documentary short or live action short. So, nope. yeah, I think we're good. All right. So let's get into what we've been watching. Sam, I, I knocked out five films this week. Good man. And <clears throat> the first one I'm going to talk about, I think, uh, is going to break your heart. Oh, I, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> I saw your Facebook post today, and I almost commented, and I was like, you know what? Let's save this for the podcast. <laughs> so I revisited this animated film that I hadn't seen since it came out. And after watching it, I realized I should have just left it in the unwatched pile as I did not like this movie. And that's the 1997 Disney film Hercules. Real shame. Real shame. It was not good. I didn't like it at all. It was not good. And... One of the things I did enjoy about not liking it is uh, some of the responses I did get on Facebook. I'm pulling up your post right now. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Are are you talking about the responses of people who who love it and are heartbroken that you hated it? Yes. Yes. It's funny. I had the opposite reaction. I was reading through these comments today being like, look at how many people agree with this monster for hating this movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't believe this. Uh, there's one. Uh, there's one Darcy. Uh, yep. Uh, I feel attacked. This has always been one of my favorites. Uh, watching it now is definitely different than when I was a kid, and my kids have zero interest. <laughs> Even the person defending it has said their kids have zero interest in this movie. Yeah, I can see why. A uh, friend of the show, Rachel, says, disagree. I love this movie. I'm glad you love James Wood's Hades, as he is superb. Uh, goes on to say, I thoroughly enjoy the songs, especially the one the muses sing. And I won't say I'm in love. I would agree that Phil is annoying. Oh, right. Manny, you, you didn't like it. I'm, I, I'm baffled. Ba- I can, uh, what, I'm, what I'm honestly baffled at, what I'm honestly baffled at is that people like this movie. That baffles me. James Woods is arguably one of the best Disney villains ever. He is spectacular as Hades. And he is the only reason to watch this. Hercules himself is a bore. Phil, played by Danny DeVito, is might be the most annoying character I've ever seen Disney put out there. I'm having a hard time thinking off the top of my head of a Disney character that annoyed me more than the character of Phil. And he's in this movie a lot. And so I was annoyed a lot. I didn't really enjoy the animation style. I understand why they went that way. It's, 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 it was very meant to look like the drawings on the vase of, of the time to invoke more of a Greek feel. So I get it. But especially young Hercules, there was times that the animation of him was substandard. There was times that his head was infinitely larger than the rest of his body. It just bothered me. It, I, I was not a fan. The character of Meg was very enjoyable. Uh, a nice twist or a nice uh, counterbalance to the usual portrayal of females in Disney films. I will give them that. Uh, I didn't like the songs at all. Yeah, that's that's the main point of contention. The rest of your review on Facebook and what you've just said, I disagree with some. I can I can see where you're, where you're coming from with others. The the music, I, I have to draw a line in the sand because Zero to Hero, in my opinion, is one of the greatest songs in the Disney canon. I'm I really s- have to disagree with you I'm on that. I'm so glad you're not in this room with me because I would slap your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. It's not fun. I... I, I not a fan at all at all hercules two out of five and it only gets a two because of james woods no james woods it's a fucking one a runaway a slam dunk one slam dunk slam dunk one yeah i will never watch this movie again that's too bad i i'm i mean i'm not exactly not exactly surprised and I will admit, actually, it's been a minute mm-hmm. since I've seen Hercules. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. I think I last mentioned this movie on air uh, when we were doing our year in review for the year 1997. I included it on my list pretty high, if I recall. I think, like, number four. Wow! Um, but, uh, again, even then when we did that, that would have been probably a little over a year ago when we did 97. Actually, maybe even a little longer ago. Um, and it already then had been probably three or four years since I'd seen it. Maybe even longer. So I don't know. You grew up, maybe, with, this. Maybe you this grew up with this movie, though, I am you? looking... Sorry, say again? You grew up with this movie, though, right? Yeah, a decent amount. Okay. I wouldn't say it was one that was... like I When I think of kids' movies, especially Disney movies that I grew up with, 
Uh, Mulan is the one that comes to mind. I grew up with Mulan. Fair enough. Uh, Hercules was on VHS in my house, and it, it found its way onto the TV every now and again. I definitely watched this a few times as a kid, 100%. That's unfortunate. Um, yeah. yeah, not a fan. Not no, it's too bad. a fan. Teach their own. Zero to Hero is one of the greatest songs in the Disney canon. I will die on that hill. Manny, what's next? And you will definitely die. Next up, I the reason that I actually watched Hercules and the reason that I watched this next movie is another podcast that I listened to is doing a, a Clements and Musker uh, filmography, which are the co-directors of Hercules, as well as this movie, which I think was their first one from Disney, The Great Mouse Detective, which I had never seen. I, I had thought I had. Uh, basically, The Great Mouse Detective, uh, I'll just give you the plot. Uh, Basil, the rodent Sherlock Holmes, investigates the kidnapping of a toy maker and uncovers its link to his arch enemy, Professor Radigan. This movie was fun. It was fine. I had a good time. It's from 1986. It's from 11 years earlier than Hercules and is 11 times better than Hercules. It was really well done. <laughs> Did you like that? I loved it. <laughs> Over here grinning ear to ear. It's good. <laughs> um it's it's a lot of it's a lot it was a lot of fun. It has an incredibly dark a couple really dark and really scary moments where I was watching I was like I don't know if my daughter would be okay with this. I think she would have nightmares. The there's a character named Fidget who is uh Radigan's uh henchman, his uh his number one. And he is a a bat with a wooden peg leg. He was a lot of fun. The voice work by the actor whose name is Candy Candido was awesome. He was a lot of fun. The um I didn't realize this until later, but Vincent Price voices Professor Radigan and he's a pretty good villain. And I had a I had a good time with this movie. It was just fine. Middle of the road Disney. It was a, a slick hour and fourteen minutes, so it was easy to watch. Wow. Yeah. Uh and Basil the basically the the mouse Sherlock Holmes uh if if you like the character of Sherlock Holmes that's basically what you're getting. And uh it was fine. I I gave it a 3. I don't don't see myself rewatching this anytime soon. Uh but I it was funny. I I it was one of the rare Disney animated movies I'd never seen. So I was happy to knock it off the list and I again it was only an hour and 15 so it was an easy watch. Yeah, I've never uh, never seen this one either. So don't worry, you're not currently treading on my childhood. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, next up, I watched this movie from 2010, uh, this action thriller that I remember when I heard about the movie, I was like, what the... F why would anybody make a movie about this? Why would people think that this is good in any way? Uh, and that's the Denzel Washington, Chris Pine action thriller Unstoppable about a runaway train. One of the, another podcast I listened to 
Uh, this is one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies. Oh, and, that's interesting. And it's understandable why. I don't think you're very um, – What's the word I'm looking for? You're not very aware of the director, Tony Scott, are you? Even though I've mentioned him a few times. Yeah, we've talked about him recently on the podcast. Yep. But if, if we hadn't, I would know very little about him. Okay. He has a very distinct film style. And once you watch one or two of his movies, it's very easy to see. Like, you could watch a movie and be like, oh, that's directed by Tony Scott. And this movie... The way he builds the tension about this runaway train, Sam, I was riveted. I had a really good time with this movie. Again, it doesn't hurt when you have two charismatic leads in Denzel Washington and Chris Pine playing off one another. It's not that long of a movie. It's an hour and 38. It's currently on Disney+. Plus. If you're looking for something just kind of fun and enjoyable to watch you could you could have a really good time with unstoppable i had a really good time i had a really good time yeah we were last talking about this movie on the podcast if i remember correctly i think it was episode 145 when we had Wes meineker on the show mm. uh because uh you were talking about you had just watched uh enemy, enemy of, of the, the state, state. Yep. Yeah, you just watched Enemy of the State, which is also directed by Tony Scott, and we got talking about uh, True Romance and Crimson Tide and all this stuff, um, and a little bit of Top Gun in there, too. But, yeah, Tony Scott, somebody who's uh, flown under the radar. This this sounds interesting. Uh, it's one... Just given the plot synopsis, I would expect it to be terrible. Yeah, um, same here. Sam, but, it's not. But, uh, obviously, in the right hands, uh, it, it can definitely be delivered upon well, especially if someone like Quentin Tarantino likes it. So, I, I'm... Consider me intrigued. Yeah, please. If you, if you are just look, kind of looking for something kind of easy, easy breezy, and kind of like like it, I won't go so far as the edge of your seat, but the way he stages the action scenes and the suspense that occurs in this movie, it's well done. I was hmm. I was I was as I was watching, I'm like I'm really enjoying myself, but at the same time, I'm like. I really like Tony Scott's films and the way that he can stage action and suspense, so I really shouldn't be surprised. But the fact that he had me riveted about a runaway train was thoroughly enjoyable. If if someone's looking for a really, like I said, if you're looking for something fun and easy, it's just over an hour and a half long, unstoppable, you'll have a good time. Three out of five for me. Oh, I thought you were ramping up to a four. No, I... I Probably pretty close. Probably pretty hmm. close. Interesting. Next up is probably one of my guiltiest pleasures. A movie that I love. And every every ounce of my being says that I should not love this. It has a lead actor that I'm not a big fan of. It has another lead actor who most of the time it's it's hit or miss. It has a supporting cast that I fucking adore and has some of my favorite lines in movie history and that's a 2004 comedy dodgeball a true underdog story (laughs) yes I love this movie (laughs) a movie that Sam and I are very close to considering doing an episode on hell yeah We, we we dance around this one a lot now 
for those of you not only do we dance but we dodge duck dip dive and dodge yes now for those of you wondering who i'm talking about i'm not a fan of ben stiller i i find him to be annoying most of the time on film and vince vaughn at times i'm absolutely in love with him and then other times i'm just like please stop talking but the supporting cast in, <laughs> is just a fucking treat. Justin Long, this was where th- – this solidified my love for him because I saw him in Galaxy Quest f- prior to this, and I was like, who is this kid? And then this, I'm just like, I'm in. Steven Root is a lot of fun. Alan Tudyk as Steve the Pirate is great. But for me – Two people that I could not stop laughing at is Gary Cole and Jason Bateman as Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks. Right you are, Cotton. (laughs) I could not stop laughing at Jason Bateman's Pepper Brooks. He might be, after this last watch, he might be my favorite character in the movie. And uh, like my I, my cheeks are hurting right now thinking of everything he does and the way that he pulls it off. He might have filmed for maybe, what, a day? Maybe two? Mm-hmm. He's delicious in this movie. This movie is has no right to be as funny as it is, and it is still funny to this day. 17 years later, I still find myself laughing out loud and thoroughly enjoying this film. I fucking love this movie. It's high on my list of movies that we are going to review one day. I was genuinely shocked when I learned Manny liked this movie. I can't remember how long ago it was. It was definitely while we were doing the podcast. I learned that you actually liked this movie, and it does not seem up your alley no. at first glance at all. This does not seem no. like your cup of tea, especially knowing what I know about your feelings about Ben Stiller. Uh, this is in contention, I think with one of the movies I've seen most in my life, I would have been, let's see if this came out summer 2004. I'm a late birthday. So I would have been seven at the time this came out and I watched it when it came out and I should not have, my parents should not have (laughs) let me do that, but I did. And we rented it often, like shockingly often (laughs) for a family with two young kids. I grew up with this movie and it's fucking hysterical a lot of the comedy as i got older uh went over my head less and less i started to get some of the more adult jokes it is still hysterical um i do love gary cole and jason bateman they're two of the best characters in the movie but i don't know how you can talk about this movie without talking about ben stiller uh white goodman in for my money one of the greatest uh comedy villains ever for white goodman is just a superb character um totally against type for ben for ben stiller just completely the opposite of what he normally does and like you said the supporting cast all great steven root uh as gordon is another uh, another highlight for me we like him in another comedy called office space yes. as um oh what's his character's name milton? uh milton milton yeah i was gonna say melvin that's not quite right um yeah dodgeball is one that i've seen you know, probably, uh, probably literally upwards of 50 times, not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I recently re- rewatched it in my mind still holds up. I can see, uh, there's maybe a couple of jokes in there that haven't aged well, but overall, I think it's still pretty good. Easy wash at an hour and a half. Um, and just, just 
It's right there in the title, Dodgeball, a true underdog story. It's just a fun little uh, underdog comedy about a ridiculous sport like dodgeball. And you get to see some people get hit in the face with wrenches. It's great. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. I, lo- I love this movie. I had a great time. Four out of five for me. Yeah. Nice. And last up, as we are ramping up towards our uh, 1995 year in review episode, I have to start getting... Uh, more of these films in 1995 that we're not reviewing away and tucked under my belt so I can properly assess this year. And I've been really wanting to rewatch this movie. It's a movie that I've been uh, really pushing Sam to watch because it's one I think that he would enjoy. And that is the uh, 1995 drama Mr. Holland's Opus. Um, the plot is a frustrated composer finds fulfillment as a high school music teacher. That's pretty much exactly what the movie is. Richard Dreyfuss gives a Oscar nominated performance as, uh, Glenn Holland. And upon rewatching this, I watched this last night. Uh, it was, I, I always knew that he was like, he was worthy of that nomination. Rewatching it last night, it actually left me astounded that he didn't win. And it took me a moment to realize, I'm like, who the fuck did he lose to? Was it Mel Gibson? No, it's Nicolas Cage for Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, right, which I also haven't seen. Which, Fuck, I need to get going on 95. Which, sadly, I can understand why he lost, but a, a little preview for that year end. I still haven't rewatched Leaving Las Vegas. I think in the I think when we talk about who should have won in retrospect, I think I might pass it on to this one. This is mm. a truly great performance. He has a lot to do, a lot to work with, and he does, He has a really great kind of I don't want to say a great arc because it, it's it's pretty cliche a lot of it, but he does so much with what he has. It's a really great performance, and it's it it's saccharine. It plays at the heartstrings. It this doesn't do anything new or doesn't even do anything really that surprising, but it fucking works. It does hmm. what it does, and it knows what it's doing, and it does it well. I was bawling at the end of this movie. Uh, just a, a sobbing mess in a good way. I had a really great time revisiting this movie. It is. It does not need to be two hours and 23 minutes long. You could easily cut out 20 minutes of this movie, but the length that they put in there allows more time for uh, Glenn Holland to grow as a character and for some of the other people in the movie to... to, to a lot of the other characters don't... They obviously don't have anywhere near as much to do but I, I I just fucking love this movie man I, I kind of forgot how much I liked it and I'm sad that I rented it instead of buying it because this is a movie that I will definitely revisit again this is a, a really great feel good movie I, I had an absolute great time watching this I, I gave Mr. Holland's Opus a 4 out of 5 cool that's everything I've been watching I uh, I had a bit of a busy week myself, not quite as many as you, but still still did okay, I think. Uh, the first movie is one that I had not honestly been aching to rewatch. I had already seen it in the last year, two years, and uh, in my opinion, it's not one you need to rewatch any more than that. Um, nonetheless, it, it has some good moments. That is the 2007 drama fantasy history movie. That's how it's classified on IMDb. Drama, fantasy, history, 2007, across the universe. Oh, shit. 
Um, it has uh, Jim Sturgis, Evan Rachel Wood, Joe Anderson. Uh, it's at a 56 Metascore. For those who don't know what this is, it's basically a Beatles musical. Um, it, it is a is a musical written around the lives of characters uh, who have the names of famous Beatles characters. You have a Jude, you have a Lucy, you have a Sadie, you have a Prudence. And there's just a very loosely constructed plot around uh, around Jude and Lucy falling in love. And they go on some wacky adventures and they do lots of drugs. Uh, this movie is fine. It is it is good, harmless fun. It is about as predictable a love story as you can possibly write. Um, on top of that, Evan Rachel Wood as Lucy is quite bad in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she's not really doing uh too much great work and the the romance between jude and lucy is really really weak with all that being said there are some really fun sequences if you are a fan of the beatles as i am you will definitely find some enjoyment in the songs there are some fun covers some fun takes on classics and on top of that there are some like acid trip style visuals in a couple of the songs, obviously the Beatles have uh, that psychedelic era in the middle there with, uh, you know, Magical Mystery Tour and uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and uh, albums of the like. Uh, so there's some psychedelic songs that leave you asking what the fuck did I do? <laughs> what the fuck did I just watch? But in kind of a good way, in particular, the song uh, for the benefit of Mr. Kite in the middle of this movie is just a, a shit show. It's <laughs> just a, a they they clearly just did as much acid as they possibly could before putting it to screen. And uh, visually, it's pretty cool. Um, there is a lot of problems with Across the Universe. Um, it's a pretty, pretty by the numbers plot. And the performances aren't particularly good. But it's having a lot of fun. It's reveling in celebrating the Beatles, who, of course, are one of the greatest bands of all time. If you wanted... A movie centered around the Beatles discography, I would recommend Yesterday ahead of this one. Uh, That's a movie that Manny and I reviewed in episode 101. Uh, Really a a great movie uh, directed by Danny Boyle. But nonetheless, Across the Universe will have some charm in it for people who are fans of the band. Uh, I would give this a two if I wasn't a fan of the Beatles. It gets bumped to a three. Uh, Manny, you have anything to add about this? Never seen it. Never seen it? No. You don't need to. It's... It's pretty harmless. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember. I was talking to somebody within the last couple months that has that was that begged me to watch this. Really? Yeah. Mm-mm. I I don't think you would like this. You're you're somewhat a Beatles fan, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Decent amount. I think. Like I said, yesterday is a far far superior movie. Far superior movie to this mm. one. All right. Uh, so, uh, moving along from there, Manny, you'll recall last week I said I would look into potentially binging WandaVision. I didn't do it because I discovered uh, when I was I was talking the idea over with uh, with my girlfriend, Emma, uh, the idea for us to watch WandaVision together um, with uh, with her sister and roommate. And we discovered that uh, her sister, Faith, had not seen a good amount of the MCU. So WandaVision would be lost on her. So we scrapped that idea. What did we do instead? We started a MCU rewatch. <gasps> so if you'll recall, I, uh, I just recently watched Captain America uh, a couple weeks ago. And I have never done an MCU rewatch. 
actually maybe not ever but uh the traditional way of is of course to do it in release order but we have decided we are going to do it oh manny's shaking his head right now no uh, no we are doing it the chronological way yes so i had already i had recently seen captain america uh the first the first avenger uh so i let them watch that without me and then we started on captain marvel we watched this this week fuck captain marvel god damn it (laughs) are you uh are you wanting to start one now yes (laughs) didn't you just finish one last year oh last year hey you can watch along with us oh fuck (laughs) manny looks genuinely devastated right now um so Captain Marvel is a movie that Manny and I also did an episode on. I wish I would have pulled up the, the episode number beforehand. But, I'll grab it for you. Uh, we, uh, we did an episode on it when it was first released. We were both kind of excited for it. Uh, neither of us really had a connection to the character in any sort of way leading up to the movie. And I think we both left feeling that it was fine. Uh, it's not one of the stronger entries in the MCU. Um, with it being one of the later entries, it does have the benefit of a lot of really snazzy special effects and gadgets and and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's it's pretty middle of the road as far as the MCU is concerned. Uh, there's not really a lot of standout moments. There's some references to some of the lore with Nick Fury that I won't get into, but some of his backstory is fleshed out a little more in a really fun way. Um the way that the bad guys are treated, uh, the the shapeshifters, um, they... Skrulls. Sorry? They're called Skrulls. Skrulls, thank you. I couldn't think of the word. The Skrulls are, uh, are a fun villain that's uh, treated with some respect and treated with some depth that you don't normally see in a Marvel movie. Um, some of that does make their menace sort of drop away, but eh, it, it's sort of fine. Brie Larson as Captain Marvel is also fine, I guess. She has a couple of moments where she's trying to be quippy. And I genuinely don't find her funny. Uh, she's uh, pretty clearly a talented actress. She's in this movie Room uh, that oh. I that, that fucking floored me when I watched it. And she's, oh. she's pretty undeniably a pretty gifted actress. I just don't find her that funny. Personally, she, she, she doesn't. She has no charisma. That's what it is. Yeah, that's that's what it is, right? Like she's she's supposed to be a very charismatic. She's supposed to be a fucking superhero. And there's one, there's maybe one moment where I chuckled or even just breathed air out of my nose very slightly. It's when she's she has the little guards on her hands because they know what she what power she has, and she says, "You guys wouldn't know how to take these off, would you?" When she's encountered by some of the villains, and I, I gave a little, huh. but like her her quippiness doesn't just doesn't do it for me in the movie and it's a kind of a problem can um, i can i offer a recasting for you yeah please emily blunt easy easy recast that is that is perfect i want you hired at marvel cinematic studios or whatever the hell they no, call their company no, no this is this is I, and i didn't mean to cut you off or derail it but this is in my opinion the casting of brie larson as captain marvel is one of the very few miscasts by the by Kevin Feige at Marvel. Mm-hmm. I I think this is a, a, a poor cast. Perhaps maybe in Captain Marvel two, she will have learned from her time on this movie and the little screen time she has in Endgame, where once again she's not that good. But I'm hoping that perhaps with some more seasoning, a little bit of superhero films under her belt, the next one will improve. But she lacks charisma. She is a incredibly talented actress. She mm-hmm. lacks charisma. She 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 lacks that spark that makes you believe that she is actually a superhero. 
Which is pretty ironic for somebody who shoots photon blasts out of their hands that she has no spark. <laughs> nice. But here we go. Um, also, the conclusion. I think um, in the lead up to the movie, you voiced a concern to me uh, just just uh, making predictions and talking about the movie before it came out. Uh, that I think you voiced the concern to me that Captain Marvel is too powerful, mm -hmm. if I'm recalling this correctly. Yep. You, you said that uh, there would be no stakes because she is just... In the comics, she is way too overpowered. Yep. Uh, and we got that in the movie. The, the finale of the movie lacks a little bit of weight. Yep. Uh, and it's just because once she fully realizes who she is and once she fully gets a grasp of her powers, she is just unfucking stoppable <laughs> She is just uh, a world ender. Yeah. She, she is a next-level superhero. So uh, Captain Marvel, unfortunately, a little bit of a miss. It's still the MCU, though. You know, it's it's a pretty reasonably good movie. If somebody in, like, I don't know, three, four months down the line was like, hey, I was going to start an MCU rewatch. Do you want to watch Captain Marvel with me? I'd be like, ah, I just watched it. But, I mean, I guess, sure. Like, why not? Something to do. Um, yeah, I'm, in case you can't tell, I'm pretty middle of the road on this. It's a pretty conclusive three. I can't remember what I gave it at the time when we did our episode. It must have been a three as well. Must have been. In it, yeah. That's interesting. Interesting. I'm interesting what? I've just I, – I, I find it funny like we're – I personally, I think it's because the MCU is so incredible at what they do. We really didn't say much good about Captain Marvel, and yet we still, we still gave it a three. Like that's how that's how good of a product they put out. It's, yeah, it's Marvel. It's Marvel and Pixar. They're the two studios that rarely miss, and even when they miss, you're st it's still an enjoyable movie. Except you hated the Good Dinosaur. I did hate the Good Dinosaur. <laughs> Which I again, I thought Good Dinosaur was just fine. But yeah, uh, Captain Marvel is arguably one of the weakest efforts by the MCU in years, and it's still pretty good. Still fine. It's I I would probably put Captain Marvel in the bottom five. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I ha you know I haven't seen all the MCU yet. I know, I know. Which I'm rectifying short order. I love it. I'm uh, so I'm so jealous, dude. I can't take I, up the mantle with us if I you're okay going at a leisurely pace. How leisurely? I don't know. Uh, probably probably one or two a week. I would imagine. I can't do more than one a week. We, we can do like one a week. Uh, I'm I'm <laughs> hammering out my 95 films and all these other movies from other podcasts I'm trying to catch up on. You know what? If you did all those, I'm sure you could catch up to us. If you finished all the 95s first, I'm sure you could catch up to us after the fact. Keep me in the loop. Or you can just start your own goddamn rewatch. <laughs> but if I do it with you, then we can talk about an MCU film every week. Yeah, which could be so fun. It would be a lot of fun. Oh, fuck. You're already a couple behind. Oh, shit. Okay, let me think about it. Yeah, you, you get back to me on that one. Fuck, um, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier starts this Friday. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. I'm doing this so I can watch WandaVision. God damn it, Sam. And so I can say I've watched the entire MCU. <sighs> I'm still missing Thor 1 and 2. Incredible Hulk, Ant-Man, I think. I think those are the only ones I'm missing. I th Incredible Hulk, that should be next for you guys. Yeah, it will be. Depending oh. on which. There are some orders. I, I think Iron Man and Incredible Hulk basically happen simultaneously. Oh, right. right? Sorry. Yeah, Iron Man. Iron Man's yeah. next. God damn it. Fuck. Fuck. So, uh, mo moving along from there. Well, you know what? 
why, why don't I do it this way? I have these written in a particular order, but I'm going to I'm going to reverse these because we did actually watch Iron Man as well. Fuck. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to gush a little bit about Iron Man right now. 2008. There's no MCU. There's no nothing. There's just Marvel Comics, Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau, and they make a one of the best superhero movies ever made. Yes. It's funny that this nobody knew what this would start. I did see Iron Man in theaters, and I owned it on DVD when I was I, I would have been a preteen. I would have been uh, eleven when Iron Man came out. Um, and I fucking loved this movie. I watched it religiously. Yep. And again, I am somebody who has never read a Marvel comic. I'm not somebody who has a connection to the source material. But I fucking loved this movie so much when it came out. And it's been a long time, I think, since I've actually had a chance to re revisit it. And I was even a little bit worried. I'm ashamed to admit it. I'm, I was a little bit worried that after the benefit of having all these excellent MCU movies come out in the... What is that now? 13 years since this movie's released. I was worried that by comparison, it may have fallen a little bit. And boy, do I ever feel stupid because Iron Man is just exceptional. Yeah. Still, all these years later, Robert Downey Jr. just hit the nail on the head just right from the get-go at the beginning of this franchise. He, he He's just a perfect Tony Stark. He is a perfect Iron Man. He plays a narcissistic petty asshole off the beginning somebody who only cares about profits and doesn't care about the people that he's hurting and the character arc is so compelling and so well realized john favreau is just such a brilliant director um able to make us empathize with this person and uh there's just so much to like obviously the the main thing to like about iron man is robert downey jr's performance as tony stark i don't think there's any debate about that yep. but i i even think jeff bridges as obadiah stane is a little bit of an underrated mcu villain i i think he's having fun with it he's at least trying and uh, he has some fun little gadgets and some motivations the initial building of the first iron man suit in the cave is uh is such a powerful sequence mm -hmm. and such a nail-biting sequence and then w when we get the reveal of him in this first iron man suit it's like a fucking horror movie he is putting chaos he is opening a can of whoop ass on these terrorists it is it is fantastic cinema it is a blast from front to back it sets up the biggest movie franchise of all time uh and it is exceptionally fun and it has been way too long since I've visited Iron Man. It was a five back then. It's a five now. Manny, you want to pipe in at all? I agree. This movie is so <laughs> well done. Oh, God damn it, Sam. Yeah. First. Yeah, you're three movies behind. That's the that's that's all that we've watched. The next one I'm going to talk about isn't MCU. First Jordan and then you. God I know. Damn it. No. This is gonna I'm be just trying to tempt you. We know what you want to do. Ugh, you have no idea. I've been fighting it forever. <laughs> when like Jordan was doing, it, I was like, "Oh, maybe I should do it too." I'm like, "No, I've got these other movies." But now, like this would give me an excuse to talk about the MCU every week with you. Mm -hmm. Oh, fuck me. Okay, <laughs> uh, Iron Man is fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. I saw it in theaters. I was pumped to see it back then. The casting of Robert Downey Jr., while I didn't collect Iron Man comics, I am a Marvel freak. I do have a comic collection. It is right there. 
in my uh, in my uh, in my closet here. In I my... can't see behind you because you have your background on. I know. Even if even <laughs> if you did, I was pointing that way where you couldn't see anyways. I see. Gotcha. Uh, it is here in the <clears throat> Samuel Manuel movie podcast theater. Ooh, the theater. <laughs> Ooh, in the <laughs> podcast studio. As nice. We'll, I love as we'll that. Say. Uh, while I didn't collect the Iron Man comics, I had a pretty good idea on the Iron Man Tony Stark character. And when they cast Robert Downey Jr. back in 2008, a lot of people, a lot of people didn't realize that he was not a superstar. He was a reclamation project. He had numerous troubles of addiction and stuff like that, and was on his way back to trying to reestablish himself as a movie star. And when they cast him, I was like, "Oh my God, they fucking nailed it! They nailed it!" I'm like, "Well done." I'm like, so this is definitely going to be fun, not knowing what was fully in store over the next 13 years. And he is fucking brilliant as Tony Stark. The movie is a joy to watch. His performance is mind-blowing. It's the kind of, it's a kind of star-making turn that we actually got privy to a couple times around this time. We got him as Tony Stark, and we got Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. Just mm. two absolute superstar building characters that exploded two franchises. Now, one was successful and the other not so much. Uh, you can only take Captain Jack. He doesn't have as much depth as Tony Stark. So, Iron Man, I, I agree. Obadiah Stane, a little bit underrated as for an MCU villain, but still enjoyable. It's Jeff Bridges. It, it's This movie is so... Fun. So fun. The best Obadiah Stane moment, in my opinion, is uh, when he's trying to get uh, Stark Industries' own scientists to recreate the uh, the technology of the arc reactor. Mm -hmm. And the one guy tells him, well, the thing is, sir, this technology doesn't exist. And he just flips out. He's like, Tony Stark built this in a cave with a bucket of scraps. <laughs> and the guy responds to him, uh, well, sir, I'm not Tony Stark. <laughs> Ah, so much fun. Easy five still, all these years later. Gonna revisit that one time and time again. That's Iron Man. Last one. This is the one, uh, again, I I need to be going back to 1995 and revisiting some of these movies or watching some of these for the first time. But I really needed to revisit one in particular, one that Manny and I made an episode on, one that I'm probably going to be re-listening to. Yeah, Manny knows what it is. <laughs> Manny, do you want to introduce it? No, it's your section, buddy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am talking about the 1995 crime drama thriller from Michael Mann, starring two of the greatest actors of all time, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, and Val Kilmer's also there on the IMDb listing for some reason. Uh, that is uh, That is the movie Heat. This is one Manny introduced to me. I think it was episode 69 all the way back when. Mm -hmm. uh, that's almost 100 episodes ago now. Um, and I I didn't really know much about it. I knew that it starred Pacino and De Niro, and I knew there was something about a diner scene. And that was basically <laughs> it. What a fucking fun movie. This is a nonstop thrill ride of a movie. So many great action scenes. Um, and just a, a great instance of... Uh, two of the greatest actors of all time going tete-a-tete -tete and uh, trying to figure each other out. It reminds me um, structurally a little bit a, a little bit of uh, The Departed. 
mm. just in the sense that you have these two powerhouses going head to head, both really smart guys, one one the criminal, one the lawman, and they're both trying to outwit each other and find each other out and get the dirt on the other. And uh, it, it's just a really, really fun, really excellent movie. There's so many great action scenes. The initial heist of a, of a truck uh, the the or an armored truck I guess uh, the the first heist in the movie is so well executed and uh, really gives you a great idea of how efficient De Niro's crew is. Um, and there's there's just excellent stuff front to back. The diner scene is one of the most famous scenes in action movie history, and uh, it is. Um, this is something Manny and I went over uh, in the original episode, but the historical context behind. Um, having these two actors meet on screen in this one scene uh, really could not be overstated. It was a very big deal to have these two in the same movie, in the same scene, in the same room uh, going at each other. So uh, there's a lot to like in Heat. I know that when uh, this was brought up in the group chat recently, Manny, uh, a couple of people said it wasn't, wasn't really for them. Is that right? Yeah, Wes and, of course, Rachel. Right, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing Wes saying uh, he just watched Heat for the first time and couldn't really get into it. Yeah. Wes, you're welcome back on the show whenever, and you're entitled to your opinion, but man, I, I can't get on board with that. This is just uh, this is just an excellent movie. Great action, great character arcs, great dialogue. You have Al Pacino screaming, she's got a great ass! <laughs> <laughs> to hilarious effect. Um, yeah, Heat, uh, Heat is one, I think, that I gave oh you know what I'm just remembering when we watched heat I gave it a four and said you know what if I ever watch this there's a chance that it might get a five because I just wasn't in the right mood for it when I watched it for the first time I was maybe a little bit tired or a little bit stressed or something like that I couldn't really fully enjoy it so I wanted to rewatch it down the line to hopefully give it a five Manny Heat gets a five. Oh, nice yeah he's a he's a four for me I don't know why I don't give it a five. The, the, I think about it. There's no reason it shouldn't be a five. Really? Yeah. So That's I, surprising. I could have sworn you gave it a five back way back when. You know what's possible is I I, prob- I definitely probably could have on the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just looking up on my letterbox when I watched it last year. I gave it a four. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's that's very surprising to me. You were very enthusiastic about giving this a five. There's I no... think you called it an easy five as well. I, I think so. I don't know why. I'm like I'm looking at my letterbox right now, and I gave it a four. Hmm. So maybe maybe same thing. Maybe the last time I watched it on June twenty second, twenty twenty, I was tired or something like that. Maybe you were in the middle of a global pandemic. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I'm. I'm gonna re. You know what? I'm gonna re-listen to that episode. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna have to too. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been watching this week. Uh, we got that all sorted out. We got our Oscar noms. We got our what we've been watching. And now a mere, I think, hour 20 into this episode. Did we start right at 9 o'clock or 9 o'clock my time? Yep. 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 So we're a mere uh, hour 20 into this episode. We can finally start talking about this movie. What do you say? I agree. And the movie that we're going to be discussing is the first of our Oscar-nominated films, Apollo 13, released June 30th, 1995, directed by Ron Howard, written by, uh, pfft, written by William Broyles Jr. and Al Reinhardt, based off the Jim Lovell book, starring Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon, and Ed Harris, has a Metascore of 77. It went 2 for 9 at the Oscars. It won for Best Sound and Best Film Editing. And the seven other nominations it got included Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, Best Supporting Actress for Kathleen Quinlan, Best Adapted Screenplay, 
Best Art Direction and Set Decoration, Best Visual Effects, and Best Score. It had a budget of $52 million. It grossed 173 in the U.S. and 355 worldwide. The plot, NASA must devise a strategy to return Apollo 13 to Earth safely after the spacecraft undergoes a massive internal damage, putting the lives of the three astronauts on board in jeopardy. Sam, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on Apollo 13. You know what occurred to me as I was watching Apollo 13? Mm-hmm. And this has very little to actually do with the movie, but are you aware of the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yes. I'm ve- I realized I'm very you, would good be, at it. you would be just a monster to play against I'm, in that game. I actually, uh, side note, uh, Chards and I played this game one night. Yeah. Uh, at uh, I can't remember where we, we were here in town in Kamloops, or were we? I can't remember. We played it for a long time and mm. i soundly beat him at this game soundly soundly yeah no soundly. I, I can believe that yes yeah i'm i'm very good at uh, i imagine you're rather quick as well yes <laughs> yes mm. yes i yeah yeah all right well apollo 13 is one that i have seen I feel like this is one that was always on TV when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because my dad loves this movie. I watched it a bunch as a kid, but mm-hmm. I, I've seen Apollo 13 several times in my life. Um, and I have very fond memories of it. It's one that I remember being very intense and uh, a little bit spooky when I was a kid. Just mm-hmm. very, uh, you know, a bunch of guys hurtling through space, freezing to death. It was uh, was a pretty heavy subject matter, even though it was a true story when I was a kid. And uh, watching this movie as an adult, it absolutely holds up. I'm so happy that it is as good as I remember it. Um, there's a lot to like about it. Um, I want to want to start with Ron Howard because he is a pretty, to put it bluntly, a pretty inconsistent director. I I don't know if you agree with me on this, but you know I was looking through his filmography and we go from like. A Beautiful Mind to The Da Vinci Code. You know, the, he has movies like Cinderella Man, which is really good. And then he has Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, he has, there's a movie of his that you and I both really enjoy. A Formula One movie, surprisingly enough, called Rush. Mm-hmm. And even though I really like this next one, I know that it's very unpopular and has a negative reputation. That's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, so he has some movies that are just gems. And then some that are just stinkers it's it, it's kind of a coin flip at any given time if he's going to be making a good movie. Hmm. I'm going to take a quick uh, gander chronologically through his directing. Yeah, uh, I see you. So I'm going to start in 82 with Night Shift. Haven't sure. seen it. Splash, I've only seen it once, and it was in the 80s, so I barely remember it. Mm-hmm. Cocoon, good. Gung Ho, haven't seen it. But I've heard it hasn't aged well because it's very anti-Asian. <laughs> oh shit! Because <laughs> it's it's set uh, it's set in Michigan. It's set. Uh, um, I think the plot's basically like this car making company is bought out by Japan, and mm. so they have to try to increase productivity to meet Japan's. So it's 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 kind of a us against them kind of story. Mm, I see. Right. Problematic. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Michael Keaton. Um, but I actually, I think gung ho, I think it is on Disney plus. Oh, interesting. It's on Disney plus or it's on Amazon. I saw it recently. I was like, Ooh, I should revisit this movie. If you're in the mood for something a little bit racist. Yeah. So next up we have Willow fucking golden golden movie. 
I grew up on it. It's a fantasy adventure movie uh, that I love. I absolutely love. Parenthood, really good. Backdraft, it's okay. I, I, I need to revisit it, but I remember liking it. Far and Away, not good at all. <laughs> I want to revisit that one. That's a Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman about Irish people coming over to settle in the Wild West. Yeah, heard it's not good. Um, the Paper, never seen. Then we have Apollo 13. Ransom, good movie. Good movie. Problematic because it's got Mel Gibson, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very good. I think we're going to be using that word problematic a lot as we're going back in time through these movies. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Ed TV, I've never seen. Then you have How the Grinch Stole Christmas. While a lot of it has a little bit of a, I, I don't know, a bad reputation or whatever, mm-hmm. it's beloved and made a shit ton of money. So you can't That's really true. say too much about it. Beautiful Mind is great. Never even heard of The Missing. Whatever. Cinderella Man, love. Da Vinci mm-hmm. Code, not my thing, but a huge film. Frost Nixon, nominated for Best Picture. Pretty good. Uh, Angels and Demons, I don't think I saw it. I don't think I saw it. Then we have The Dilemma. Is that a romantic comedy? Vince Vaughn? Oh, Vince Vaughn and, oh, Kevin James. A man discovers that his best friend's wife is having an affair. Oh, something tells me I would not like that at all. Mm -mm. Rush, we love. We do. In the Heart of the Sea, I saw that dude. Don't watch it. Yikes. Not good. Not good. Uh, Inferno, and then Solo, and then some documentaries, and then Hillbilly Elegy. Ugh. Yeah. I I think there's some more. I I, I think there's – they use a word with Ron Howard, and it's workmanlike. The workmanlike Ron Howard. He's he's just a a director. He's not flashy. Mm-hmm. He's not great, but he's not bad. He's perfectly down the road a director of films. <laughs> that's some pretty high praise right there, Manny. That's he what that's director what I, of films. That's what I think Ron Howard is. I, I'm never excited for a Ron Howard movie. I never. I, I can't ever think of a time that like a new Ron Howard film's coming out. I'm like, yes. But at the same time, I'm never like, oh my god, Ron Howard's directing this. I have no desire to watch this. Mm-hmm. He is Right down the middle of the road for me when it comes to director. And this is one of his highlights. Yeah, this is one of the finest films in his filmography. Thank you for joining me, by the way, on that journey through uh, Ron Howard's filmography. I went down that same rabbit hole uh, yesterday mm-hmm. and just was was perplexed by the uh, the recent stinkers that he's had in particular. Yeah. Um, but uh, in my mind, Apollo 13 is just an instant classic survival story. It is uh, excellent, and it obeys, even though it's based in truth, or even though it's based on a true story, um, it obeys one of the, in my opinion, one of the most important rules in screenwriting, which is be shitty to your protagonists. Make <laughs> them go, Make them go through everything. You, you make everything go wrong on their ship. You make them nearly freeze to death. Then you make them nearly burn to death. Then you make them nearly suffocate in some order. <laughs> I know I got the, the order of that wrong, but you get the idea. And then you make them hurtle through space and miss their one opportunity to walk on the moon and go through emotional trauma. And you make their, their spouses go through hell as well, worrying if they're going to ever see them again. You, you make them experience everything negative a human being can experience. 
So then at the end, I'm not going to spoil what the end is, <laughs> but if it's based in, it's based in reality, you can fucking look it up. I don't care <laughs> if they, if they make it through the ordeal, it feels that much more powerful. It feels like we've grown and it feels like we've experienced something with our protagonist. It feels like we've been on an adventure. God damn it. And God damn it. Does it ever work? Uh, Apollo 13 is a movie that from about the 45 minute mark on is just nonstop. It is just excellently paced, especially in the back two thirds of the movie. The first, first third takes a little bit to get going a little bit just as we're setting the stage, but I, I really don't have any problems with it. On top of that, something I noticed on this watch I've never watched before, or I've never noticed before, excuse me, the score and the soundtrack are fucking awesome. Mm. They're so good. The uh, the track in particular, I think it's just called The Launch. Yes, it's like uh, 10 minutes long. Yeah, and it's just, it's it makes my heart swell. It, it really, it's awe-inspiring. That's the best phrase I can use for it. It's awe-inspiring. And, uh, you know, the, the soundtrack, I, I grew up listening to a lot of classic rock. So songs like Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf and Somebody to Love, Jeff Jefferson Airplane. Uh, second time that song has made a prominent appearance on the podcast, by the way, after uh, after the cable guy. You're welcome for that one. Yeah. Uh, so songs like Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix, Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. It's uh, they're so effective at putting you in the era and putting you in in that moment. Even something as small as having um Jim Lovell's daughter distraught over the breaking up of the Beatles uh, during the launch uh, is it just does a great job of putting you in this era. Uh, there's there's a lot to like about Apollo 13. Mainly, I'd say uh, the pace in particular, the back two thirds is excellent. Uh, the performances, of course, I haven't even touched on yet, but you have uh, one of the finest living actors, one of the finest actors of all, of all time, Tom Hanks, as well as Ed Harris, Gary Sinise, uh, just Fantastic performances across the board from the whole cast, and the writing is superb. I know that was a lot. Manny, what do you have to say about Apollo 13? Yeah, this movie is... A, it's. I hate to say it's. this movie is fun, despite the massive amounts of tragedies that, the, that these I, guys have to go through. It's so fun, though. It is fun. Uh, I agree. This One of the things I actually really, really, really focused on on this watching was the editing. Because mm -hmm. it won Best Film Editing, and I wanted to see why this was considered better at editing than Seven and The Usual Suspects. And while I still disagree over the editing over over Seven, um, I can see why it won. Easily why it won. So that was one thing I definitely uh, focused on. And it's funny... Uh, you mentioned that because this was actually the first time I noticed how good the score is as well. Excellent, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a fantastic score. So I think it was, I was looking for other things because I knew going in, I knew these things going in. Even though I've seen this movie probably over 15 times, easily over 15 times, I knew, one, I was going to like Tom Hanks. Two, Obviously. I was going to be blown away by Ed Harris. Three, I was going to enjoy the tension and the suspense that this movie provides, despite the fact I know exactly what happens in real life, and I've seen this movie more times than I have fingers. Those things I knew I was going to be impressed with. So I had to try and focus on other things instead of the things that I normally enjoy. 
And this movie was still enjoyable. It still had me riveted. It still had me excited. It still gave me the elation at the end that whatever happens at the end happens at the end. Spoilers, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's it's real life, people. And the movie is the movie is 26 years old, and the events that happened in this movie are what? 51. 51 years old? Jesus yeah. Christ. So, yeah, spoilers for a historical event that I'm pretty sure everyone in the world knows about. Or everyone in at least North America knows about. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is just so thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, yeah, L- let's get, let's get into spoilers. Please take us in, Sam. So as Manny said, we're going to be spoiling this movie and real life event. So if you have not seen the movie or you are just working your way through the Apollo missions on your own, uh, we're about to, <laughs> we're about to spoil this movie and real life event. So, uh, you've been warned three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Here we go. Let's start off. Uh, we're gonna kind of breeze through this because, as much as I like this movie, there I don't think there's too much to really dive in deeply, Sam. I mm-hmm. don't know if you agree or disagree, but we'll dive in as much as we can. Yeah, uh, just real quick before you before you go there. Yeah, I found especially looking at like favorite scenes, I had a lot of moments that I really liked. Very short scenes, I find, Very. especially uh, again once we get going in the back two thirds of the movie, a lot of short scenes. So I, yeah, I agree. not not a ton to really break down in depth. Okay, so the first stop uh, is uh, the moon landing party that they have mm-hmm. to open the film. The party at Jim Lovell's house. Uh, they do a great job of introducing the characters somewhat, but they what they one of the things that I really love how they focus on in this movie that has always, always actually really affected me is how well they portray the relationship between Jim and Marilyn. Mm-hmm. I love how much they show how much these two characters care about one another the connection they have and how they are how they are each other's best friends and true loves it was it really hit home with me this time and uh there's a scene kind of after this moon landing party that i, I want to touch on a little bit but um watching this uh, moon landing party i just kind of thought like how fucking exciting would this have been at that time that because we take it for granted that people have walked on the moon. We take it for yeah. granted that there are literally thousands of satellites orbiting our Earth. At the time, nobody had walked on the moon. And they're about to witness this incredible event in human history. And they, and they get to see it because of the technology at the time, thanks to television. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine the excitement that this that that must have been at that time yeah well i one of the things i liked about this uh this uh moon landing party was how they communicate so effectively um or how ron howard communicates to you the audience um the gravity of it no pun intended uh he communicates just how serious it is because for a lot of this opening scene they're all kind of laughing they're passing around beers they're making jokes. They're introducing each other. And then when Neil Armstrong says his famous line, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, the entire room is silent and we get a close up on Tom Hanks. And he is just so somber. And so you can tell he's so moved by what he's seeing. And you can see in this opening scene how inspired all these people are mm-hmm. and what a big fucking deal it is that, like you said, they get to see a piece of human history. They get to see. Um, one of the most important events of the 21st century or the 20th century, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's a great little opening scene. And then um, I, I don't know if this is where you're planning on going, but there's a scene uh, afterwards where Marilyn tells Jim uh, in the car that she's thinking about not attending his launch. Mm, that's a little bit further down the line than what I was okay. going to go next. Okay, where are you going to go? Uh, just before I get to the, the next part, uh, the other part of the moon landing party I really loved was seeing Walter Cronkite's excitement. Yes. They show this clip of him. He's like rubbing his hands. He's so excited to see it. I fucking love that. I love that. Uh, but the the part, uh, a couple of things I wanted to get to before that uh, that you that you touched on is actually uh, right after the party, um, they show Jim and Marilyn outside, and they do a great job of showing both sides of being in this NASA program. They're looking up at the moon, and Jim's talking about what Neil and Buzz would be doing at this moment because they would have have returned back up to the shuttle, and they're on their way back. Well, Marilyn's talking about the wives. They're like, I bet you they don't sleep a wink tonight because mm-hmm. all they'll be doing is worrying about their men who are literally thousands of miles up above them. Mm-hmm. And I love that they show both sides and they continue to do that throughout the film. They don't just forget that these astronauts have people at home that mean something. Now, in the, they don't have enough time in the movie, so we don't really get to see much of much of Fred Hayes's family and since we're in spoilers um we don't get to see Swaggart's family because he was a bachelor but mm-hmm. so we don't spend a lot of time with them but we do get a lot of interplay and we get to see what Marilyn is going through while Jim is up there as well and it's a, an important part because it reminds us that these people have families that there are repercussions besides of our excitement and NASA's attempts to try to get these astronauts home there are people that are sitting there that can't affect or help in any way and are just waiting to hear and hope that their loved ones come back and i love i love 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 the the other thing that i actually really focused on this year is i was always kind of surprised that kathleen quinn got nominated for her performance but i focused a lot on her in this and i she's 100 percent worthy of the nomination she is amazing in this movie yeah She's got a number of great scenes. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll, I guess, get, touch on those a little bit more down the line. There's two in particular from her that are, I would, even though they're very emotional, I I don't want to give the wrong impression of them. They're almost a little bit funny, <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. Like, she, uh, she's just very, um, st- in the way that she's trying to remain composed, it's almost a little bit comedic, but I don't even want to, I don't even want to say that because it's really just... It's just moving, I guess, would be the the best way to put it. But mm-hmm. it's just the way that she is trying to portray that she's remaining composed, but actually is just a fucking wreck because she was already worried about her husband when everything was supposed to go according to plan. And then when things start getting uh, fucked up, um, you know, you can only imagine how she must have felt. So, yeah, I, I, I was a big fan of her performance. And again, I've never really noticed her on previous watches either. But this time I definitely did. Uh, the w- one thing, uh, just a little, uh, a little trivia note that I actually want to throw in here. It's in this scene as well that she asks where Mount Marilyn is on the moon. Um, while listening to the commentary on the movie, uh, Mount Marilyn uh, never made it into any scientific documents, but everyone at NASA, including all the astronauts, knew which one was Mount Marilyn, and all of them referred to it as that. Ah, oh, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
the next scene uh, I just want to quickly touch on, it's a complete exposition dump, but it's done so well, and that's the scene between Jim and his son as he explains to his son how the mission's going to work and how the the Lem and the Odyssey are connected and what each one does and all that. It just it's the scene is there to let the audience know what the difference is between these two things and how this mission is supposed to go, but they they put it across as a father telling his son what's going to go on. So it it's such a it's so funny to watch it. You're like you fucking exposition dumpers. Yeah, <laughs> but you got me anyways because you. Yeah, you don't even. That's the best kind of exposition when yeah. you don't even realize it's exposition. Yeah. And it even has a great little callback later yes. because he explains that the hatch didn't open. Uh, and then later, uh, later we get the scene between Marilyn and uh, is the son named John or uh, it's, uh, something generic. Anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, but between uh, Marilyn and her son where she's explaining that something's gone wrong and he says, was it the door? <laughs> that that scene when he says that almost makes me cry. That's one of the ones from uh, from Catherine. Is it Catherine Quinlan? Sorry, I don't have her name in front Kathleen. of me. Kathleen. Kathleen, excuse me. Um, one of the scenes from Kathleen Quinlan that uh, I think is really exceptional is where she's just trying to keep it together. <laughs> she is really just trying to remain composed for her family, mm-hmm. uh, even though she's distraught. And her son is just so naive <laughs> being being as young as he is. She's like, well, something's got wrong, gone wrong with your dad's ship, and they don't know how to fix it. And he's just like... Was it the door? <laughs> just because of that conversation earlier. It's a, it's very. That, that's what I sort of mean. Where I don't want to say it's a funny scene because it's very. Uh, she's she's very worried, but it's it's a funny little scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you first said the first kind of the first section of the film is kind of slow, mm-hmm. I first kind of bristled at the comment, but now as I start to think about it, I'm like I am in complete agreement because the movie doesn't really pick up until re- basically right up to almost right before the launch. The launch is where it really starts to go. But Yeah, well I I looked uh I watched this on Blu-ray. Uh so I looked at the looked at the runtime at uh at I think the time they were doing the broadcast inside the uh, inside the ship. Yeah. Um and uh it was at the 45 minute mark. And nothing had gone wrong. <laughs> I, I just found that interesting. I wasn't bored or anything. Like mm-hmm. when I say the first act is slower, it is. But I don't. I don't necessarily hate it. It's just slower. No, it is. Uh, but I, I, I just found it interesting at the forty-five minute mark. I was like, wow, this disaster survival film. Nothing has gone wrong yet. <laughs> Which was sort of interesting. Uh, a couple things I just want to touch on actually before we get to the launch. Two minor things. Uh, one great editing choice. Um, is when Swaggart finds out that he's been selected because uh, Mattingly might get the measles, mm-hmm. is they have the shot of and, and the sound of Swaggart screaming excitement, and they immediately cut to Mattingly sitting there stunned that he's not going to space. Yeah, and what a fucking heavy scene that is. Yes. Uh, I, I, and you know what? I have so much respect for uh, for Jim Lovell in that scene. The fact that he wanted to be the one to tell his crew member, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, the decision came from him, and he sat him down face to face and told him, "I am making this decision for the best of the crew. It sucks for you, it sucks for me, but it's the right call." And I, I just gained so much respect for him in that scene. Yeah. Uh, when they, <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on this, 
perhaps you probably did. Uh, it's just before the launch. They have social distancing visits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I definitely picked up on that. Uh, really too bad. <laughs> they were, uh, yeah, they were visionaries before their time. Yep. What would that be? Was that fifty-one years before uh, before they actually had to? Yep. Before our current current pandemic. For anyone listening to this episode, like maybe in the future, we are just on the tail end, hopefully, of <laughs> of this catastrophic, uh, this terrible COVID pandemic over over here, March seventeenth today. So the uh, just the one other thing I wanted to touch on with that with actually the social distancing visit, um, there's some really great flirting and playfulness between Jim and Marilyn. It's utterly adorable. Mm-hmm. They have this really great moment and this great playfulness that just shows how much they love each other and the connection they've had over the years. Uh, it just it honestly just melted my heart. It made me. I was just like, oh, I'm like, I love that. It's so cute and adorable. No, it, it is super fun. I, I can't remember exactly what said is something like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only here because my husband's launching tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and they just like play this whole coy, like uh, talking about each other in the third person. I don't know. Yeah, it was super cute. It was super cute. Then we get to the launch. And this is where that great score kicks in. Yeah, this yeah. is where I first really noticed it. At, up to this point, I was mainly focused on the soundtrack uh, I really was in love with the mostly classic rock soundtrack up mm-hmm. to this point. And then this score swells up and it's just inspiring. It is, uh, is truly wonderful. The uh, one thing I learned, I actually, I didn't, I, I didn't know it. I, I've seen this scene numerous times, but when they're putting them in the spacesuits, and there's a scene of where one guy is rubbing uh, Tom Hanks's chest to put the biomed, Mm-hmm. biomed readout on there i did i always thought that he was like they'd shaved it and that he was rubbing it with like like alcohol right mm-hmm. uh, that's not what he's doing I he's fa- just rubbing the hair off they're <laughs> sanding it down ah that's what he's doing that's why he goes ah because i always thought I'm like oh he's probably just putting some alcohol on it to to sterilize the area to then put the biomed on it but what they actually do is they sand it down owie yeah that yeah. sucks. Yes, yes. So I learned. I one of the. I listened to the commentary. I try to listen to the commentary tracks if I can, mm. and this one was just Ron Howard, and the track is fine. It wasn't boring. It wasn't dry. Sadly, I didn't get a lot of really great insight, uh, but I got a couple cool anecdotes such as that. Um, mm. The score is great. This is a. I, I the CGI has withstood the test of time surprisingly yeah really well done mm-hmm. and uh the whole scene is so inspiring and so well crafted but my favorite part of this whole scene the whole launch is our introduction to my boy gene gene Krantz, played by ed harris in what I was going to say arguably might be my favorite, but I, I I don't know if I can go that hard, so I'm going to go top three. One of my top three Ed Harris performances. This you Truman Show. No, Truman Show I like, but I don't think I'd put it top three. Okay, uh, you, what, what uh, do you, you got? You won't, I, I don't think you'd be able to guess what my other one would be. I honestly do not know a lot of Ed Harris. Yeah, The Abyss is oh, one, is yeah, one yeah, of my yeah. favorite Ed Harris performances. It's James Cameron, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably the least... No, not even probably. It's the least seen James Cameron film. Yeah, far and away. Yeah, 
like big far away. Um, Gene Kranz is fucking awesome. I, I like I want to say he the Gene Kranz character, but he's a real person. Mm-hmm. He's unbelievable. This nominated performance by Ed Harris is so good, and it, again, it's one of those times where I'm like, fuck, how did he not win? Oh right. Kevin Spacey, usual suspect. Sorry, you just happen yeah. to have the same time of performance as a fucking iconic performance. He's so fucking good in this movie. He, uh, there's a lot to like about the Gene Kranz character, as you said. Um, one of the things that I like, they use sort of, I would stop short of calling it an obscure tool, but definitely an underutilized way of introducing a character, in my opinion is associating them with an object that's maybe sort of representative of them. The, the example of this that I always give, just to be illustrative, uh, is Indiana Jones. Uh, in the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, we don't see Indy's face for probably the first 10 minutes or so, but we do see his whip a couple of times, and we very much begin to associate that with him. And of course, in the years since, it's been more associated with him. Here, it's a little bit less pronounced than that, but I love we we don't see Gene Kranz's face, uh, we see the vest, and the vest just serves as an opportunity to show us how much everyone else respects him. Like everybody just goes around the room, is like, "Oh, nice one, Gene. That's a good one, Gene. Like, oh, that's that's a really good vest." And it just serves as an opportunity to show how respected he is, and how much power he has in this room, and what a figure of authority that he is. Mm-hmm. And this is all even before we see his face. So I, I like the introduction, even that first little moment. And then the character himself, what a fucking leader. Oh. What, a, what an excellent leader. Unbelievable. And you know what I like about his leadership? Is that he listens. Even though he is out there barking orders and he is saying all this is unacceptable, like failure is not an option. When a guy comes to him and says, I recommend we do this, he listens and he trusts his guys. And I, I've always respected that about this character. I agree. I agree. I f- I fucking love Gene Kranz. I fucking love this character. He this he he might he might be my favorite part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I I'm not going to lie, going forward from here on out, you're going to hear me talk about Gene Kranz a lot. That's fine. I'm happy to listen. Um I have uh another little anecdote, usually kind of stuff that I save for uh trivia, but I thought that this one was kind of touching, so I wanted to put it here cuz we're still talking about the launch. So during the launch scene, the real Marilyn Lovell was an extra in the crowd. You know, and, I did see that on IMDb. That's that's such a great touch. Yeah. Jim, Class move by Ron Howard. Jim Lovell's in it too, hey? Not he's not oh. he's not in this crowd. He's at the end of the movie. I'll get to that. Oh really? I didn't know that. I'll get to that. So mm-hmm. Marilyn Lovell was an extra in the crowd and to help get them in the mood and to give them an idea of what they were watching because they obviously were watching nothing because they didn't have a, a rocket launch to watch. So what they did is they put these very loud speakers, these very large loudspeakers to simulate the sound and to give them an idea of what they were watching. And when it was over, Marilyn was in tears. So Ron Howard went over and said, is everything okay? And she told him, I thought I'd never have to live through that again. Oh, terrible. I know. Terrible. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on with the launch? The, the CGI and what they did showing this rocket flying through the air and up into space for something this old, it is amazingly well done. They, they do a great job of capturing the scale of it. 
Um, I, I think I was watching this with Jordan when I was watching it. I think I said to her during this scene, what an incredible undertaking. What? Like, and I wasn't talking about the movie. I was talking about the launch. I was like, just what an amazing achievement of humankind to to do something like this. I know this is obviously um, a, a failure or a, a successful failure as they frame it later. Mm-hmm. Um, but just what a what a massive scale operation this thing was. And I am I was if what they were trying to do in this scene was inspire awe and to make you understand just how large this operation was and just what a huge undertaking it was then mission accomplished because I I was I was floored actually but and it's such a strange thing to be floored by it's just a scene in a movie of a rocket ship launching but I I was actually pretty moved by it if I'm being totally honest I agree I agree So we get some normal stuff up in space. I don't really want to touch on too much in there unless you had everything. I want to get to The Trouble Begins. Yeah. Only thing in the middle there that I that I wanted to get to, actually right before The Trouble Begins, during the broadcast when he says, let's get some mood music, and he thinks it's going to be um, uh, Thus Spoke uh, Zarathrusta from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, but it winds up being Spirit in the Sky. Fun little comedic moment. Yeah. <laughs> um. We get the iconic line, the iconic line. Houston, we have a problem. Fantastic. The iconic line. Fantastic line. Mm-hmm. What I love in this scene should come as no surprise. It's fucking Gene. Calm. Working the problem. Where's the problem? What's the problem? Talking to his guys who he trusts complicitly trying to figure it out this scene here this is one of the scenes where this is where i see why it won best editing Mm -hmm. it is cutting between what's happening on the ship to what's going on in mission control and talking to between the people mission control and flight and all this it is brilliant editing at no point are you lost you might get you might feel the tension you might feel overwhelmed by what you're watching but at no point are you ever wondering what the fuck is going on it is great acting all around, and it's so tension-filled and so well done that even though I've seen this movie over a dozen times, I'm just like, holy fuck, is everything going to be okay? There's uh, another great editing moment, small one that I want to draw attention to. Actually, I actually have to go back to the launch for this one again. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a shot of Tom Hanks, and his eyes dart to the side, and then a shot of what he's looking at, the eject switch. Yeah, and I think you get you get that a couple of times, and it's just small, small editing touch, but you can just tell going through his head, he's like, he's he's got the butterflies, he's got the nerves, he just he has a feeling that something's not quite right. It's a uh, it's a nice touch. Yep. Uh, this the discovery of the venting. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. The one thing I learned actually is. Uh, when they later on in the film, remember they get to they dispark from the Odyssey, uh, and the the ship turns in space and they can see the damage. Mm-hmm. Um, they discovered be, the uh, damage was so big. The only reason they survived was that this explosion happened in the vacuum of space. If it had happened in the atmosphere, they all would have they the whole ship would have exploded. And they all would have been dead. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Silver linings. Silver linings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't really have much else to talk about here. Like a lot uh, happens, but there's nothing specific that I really want to touch on. Very somber moment that I like uh, when they're told to shut down the fuel cells. Um, mm. For all of the great pacing that the back two thirds of this movie has, one thing Ron Howard really does excellently throughout the movie is he knows when to take a beat. He knows when to just let you steep in silence for a second and understand the seriousness of what's happened. So when they make the decision to shut down the fuel cells, effectively ending their chances at landing on the moon, even though the move, there's been problem after problem after problem up to this point, uh, they just take a second to sit in silence for a second. Mm-hmm. And you get the, I can't remember who it is who says it. I think it's Tom Hanks who says, we just lost the moon. Yeah, it's, it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. I love how even in this fast-paced movie, this fast-paced survival story, they they know when to pause for a second and say, hey, this is a really serious thing here. Let's let's experience this emotion for a second before we move on. It's yeah, nice. Yeah. The other thing I love is it also shows uh, – I, I don't think a lot of people truly understand what incredible intellect astronauts have to have. I think we, we think of them almost the same as just kind of – they're just pilots. They're just mm-hmm. flying the spaceship. This movie really helps – uh, dispel that rumor as these guys have to think on their feet they have to be very in- they have to be highly intelligent they have all these math problems they have to solve uh, it's incredible what uh, what they have to do and what they have to go through and it's here where Tom Hanks is just a little ahead of uh, Houston where he's se- where he sends uh, Fred Hayes down into uh, into the lem to get it fired up because he realizes he's like the Odyssey's dying we have to get into the lem. The lem is going to be our lifeboat, and it's like maybe two, three minutes after he's done that, that Houston tells him that he has to go do that, and he's like, "We already have Fred down there." Like it's yeah. gr- it's great to show that the people on in Houston and the people up here in Apollo thirteen are all highly intelligent people. Yeah, and it's it would be easy to make that discovery. It would be easy to show that in comparison to the people working the desks mm-hmm. like something i i hate that i bring this director up so much <laughs> on the show because he's not that good and i don't like him that much but something that michael bay does poorly mm. is that he always needs to show um wh- whoever it is people of authority like military police um just people he generally regards as the good guys and the rough and tumble um like or the like bruce willis and armageddon those sorts of characters in his movies, the only way they can be portrayed as being smart is by showing a desk jockey of some kind who's dumb. They need to show you the egghead accountant, mm-hmm. whoever it is, being stupid to show you how much smarter these uh, these blue-collar workers are. Yeah, And I, I like that Ron Howard uh, is smart smarter about that. Basically, I'm saying I like that Ron Howard is a better director than Michael Bay. Uh, I like that the the showcasing of the intellect of these astronauts does not come at the expense of everybody working at NASA. Those, those people's intellects are shown as well. Uh, but, uh, the astronauts of course are a cut above cause they were the men that were selected for one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Yes. Yeah. Uh, next one I want to touch on is the meeting to get them home. Uh, nice little comedic moment that the, uh, overhead projector won't work either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, <clears throat> and then once again, Gene, his leadership is breathtaking, calm, open to any and all ideas, 
make sure that they are aware of the problem and what they need to solve and make sure that his men are doing what they need to do to get this mission accomplished and to bring these people home. He is I don't care. I'm I'm going to be repeating myself over and over again. Gene is fucking unreal. You know what uh, this style of storytelling, especially with Gene, reminds me of a little bit? Spotlight. How we, how we talk a little... We, you and I have talked about Spotlight, mm-hmm. how people are just given information and they just take a second to react like a person would. They don't, they don't give any big sort of reaction. Then they just process the information. And they go, okay, that's what we're working with now. And they roll with that new information. Gene does not react in a large way when catastrophic in, uh, information is given to him. There's one moment where uh, one of the eggheads at NASA tells him, we're running the ship at 60 amps. We need to get it down to 12 and there's a great line. Somebody says, you can't run a vacuum cleaner on 12 amps, uh, just to put it into perspective for yep. us non-NASA nerds. Yep. Um, and Gene's reaction to this isn't to recoil like that guy. It's just, I think he just asks him, is that the situation? Like, like, is that is that how it is, basically? Mm-hmm. And the guy says, yeah, that's the situation. And he just rolls with it. He goes, okay, so we need to get it down to 12 amps. And he just rolls with it. Yep. That's, it- that's the reality he lives in now. Now we've got to solve that problem. That's that's just all it is. That's a fucking leader right there. It is. It's fucking awesome. Uh, this is also where Mattingly comes back into the fold. Mm. He has been obviously a little chuffed that he was left on Earth. <clears throat> Took his phone off the hook, which at the time meant you were disconnected from the entire world. Not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. Uh, but they come and get him, and he immediately goes in to, uh, I will do whatever it takes to help these men get home jumps into the simulator and i love that he's like i want the conditions the exact same as him they try to give him a flashlight he's like that's not what they have mm-hmm. i want it's it's just little things like that that are going to make the difference and I'll, I'll i'll touch on it again but it's so funny the whole mattingly and i think the characters i don't know the last name is aaron um <laughs> i can't believe the tension they get from me over the excitement of amps yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Uh, the next scene that I really like is the <laughs> to show, and I think Gene says something about how you can tell this is a government project is fixing the CO two filter. Yeah, the uh, the Lem takes uh, square cartridges and the Odyssey takes circle cartridges because heaven yeah. forbid they be the same one, which would make sense. But you don't plan for things like this. Yeah, and he's, he says, tell me this isn't a government project. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a very, very perfect line. And uh, uh, I, I, I love the showcasing of our, our NASA nerds. Uh, just They have to, as Gene puts it, invent a way to put a square peg into a round hole. Mm-hmm. And only using the materials on board. Yes. And for some reason, them MacGyvering this filter is one of the most exciting sequences in the movie. <laughs> yes! I agree. I fucking like love a fucking it. Filter out of socks. <laughs> I fucking love that scene. I fucking love it. Um, they go through a whole bunch more shit. Uh, we're we're skimming over a lot because there's not. They don't, we don't really need to dive super deep into this movie. Not a lot of this stuff needs to be broken down. It's just cool shit that happens. It is cool shit that happens. But one of the cool shit that happens that I enjoy. It's getting close to the end. These people have endured so much, and they have what Gene refers to as a medical mutiny. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the medical mutiny scene. It's really funny. 
the uh, the flight surgeon is obviously worried about them. That's his job, and but it's fun to see him react to them uh, taking off their biomeds. And Gene knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> we just have a little bit of a medical mutiny. I'm sure they're still with us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, next up, one of the more kind of thrilling moments is when they do the Lem burn. Yeah. And I love that we have that scene with the uh, the Lem tech uh, covering his ass saying the Lem isn't designed for this. And Gene's like, I don't care what it's designed for. I want to know what it can do. Mm-hmm. and can it do this and they're like well we think so it, you know it's it's not designed for that and he's just the whole time he's covering his ass and then when it succeeds he's triumphant and he's just like i told you it could do this i told you and <laughs> and gene's not like he's completely unfazed he's yeah. just like okay if, I, he's like i guess you get to keep your job <laughs> Yeah, and what a, what a fun uh, throwaway line for him too. He's like, I get to, I guess you get to keep your job after he's reassured him. He's like, Hey, if this doesn't work, it's not on you. It yeah. wasn't designed for this. You've spoken your piece. I'm making the call. And then when it when it winds up working, he's like, Oh, I guess you can keep your job. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, but watching um, uh, Swaggart, uh, Hayes, and Lovell all do this burn with no instrumentation, using the earth in the. <laughs> in their viewfinder as a reference point to hit as they have that other great exposition scene with the newsreel to hit a 2% uh, window that will allow them to enter earth safely. Yeah. It's so funny. A, a, like, two, a two degree, two degree window, yeah. uh, a, a window no thicker than a piece of paper. If the earth is a basketball and the moon is a softball. Yes. Yikes. It's so funny that these are the kind of things that regular people like us don't even think of we think oh you're, you're just gonna come to earth just come to earth just fly at earth and it's not like that you will burn up and incinerate or you will skip off the atmosphere which boggles my mind that that could actually occur just skip skipping off the atmosphere like a that, like a stone off a pond yeah like a piece of metal can skip off of our gaseous atmosphere physics man it, it'll wrinkle your brain it's unbelievable um again the lemburn this whole scene it's so tense and so well done the editing again I, i'm really going to really praise them like i said i i really want to pay attention to it since th- this did win best film editing and it is it is easy to see why the the what everything that they have to juggle at no point does anything feel out of whack or are you lost or unsure of what's going on. It's really great, really great editing. And it's not a super cut mix like a Michael Bay film. It's also not, as you like to say, it's not the winner of most editing. No. It's uh, it's just a really well-crafted, well-put-together film. Hmm. Then we get to the scene I was just joking about before. Uh, did you want to say anything about the Lem burn before we move on? Sorry, I didn't mean to just jump. No, I, I think uh, I, I think we basically covered it. It's one that I'm glad. It I think it plays out in real time. I think they say 39 seconds, and we're we see them on screen for pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that it plays out in real time. It's very panicked, very intense scene, but uh, n- not a lot else to touch on other than that. Uh, great, great feeling of relief after the fact. Yes. And I'm, 
that's another moment where uh, where the, the director is smart to let us steep in that emotion. He, like, even though it's a fast-paced scene, whew, we take a little breather. Oh, we're relieved. This problem solved. On to the next one. Yeah. And then we get into the scene that I was referring to either <clears throat> earlier about Ken and Aaron arguing about the ignition sequence. Mm. Uh, and I'm always surprised that who would have thought amps would provide such great tension in a film. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Again, all the uh, like electrical engineers in the crowd are going wild, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very enjoyable. Uh, Lauren Dean playing that Aaron character, really well done, uh, and Gary Sinise, just brilliant as he usually is. Uh, not really like <clears throat> award worthy performances, but solid and don't take you out of the film. Mm-hmm. You know what? I I didn't really mention it. Uh, we mentioned the one scene way at the beginning of the movie where Tom Hanks tells him that he's not coming on board. Mm-hmm. He has a really great line delivery when he says, um, must have been a tough decision. Because it's, it's, there's just a touch of sarcasm to it. Like, there's just a little hint of, oh, wow, your life's so hard for having to make this decision. Mm-hmm. But he's also trying to remain serious. And it's a, it's a really subtle line delivery that I liked. But you're right. For the most part, there's nothing really spectacular that he's doing. He's just doing a good job. Yep. The uh, powering up of the shuttle, uh, great editing here again as we're getting to see uh, Lovell and Hayes. They have to uh, add more weight to the shuttle because it's supposed to have a couple hundred pounds of moon rock on it. So they're throwing stuff in there. We're seeing Kevin Bacon trying to power up this the way that uh, Mattingly and Aaron want them to do it. It, Again, it's just a really well-constructed scene, and we get that little tense little funny moment where uh we find out why he has that note on the switch uh to not jettison them out into space (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think tom hanks just has a good call or something like that smart 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 yeah uh then we get the re-entry and it's another well-crafted tension-filled scene we while it is cliche, the blackout, uh, because as they're re-entering, there's a three-minute window where they they lose contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cliche, but it's also real. So I don't know what you're supposed to do if people get angry at these kind of things. I'm like, mm, it's real life. Uh, they did. <clears throat> they didn't exaggerate this part in real life. It did take over four minutes for the Apollo 13 to. Uh, reconnect with Houston and to this day they still don't understand why it took longer than normal hmm. but uh, just this, one more thing to go wrong eh? yeah the uh, the cinematography here is actually really great especially uh, in mission control they really use a lot of crane work a lot of the camera starting really high and coming down on the characters giving them in such a static and kind of medically her medical clean it allows you to it feels more cinematic there's a lot more camera movement in here a lot of overhead shots that swoop in on the character that they want you to focus on uh i really enjoyed this part here it, it made the nasa set a little bit more cinematic for this scene here yeah about as difficult a set to make cinematic as possible yeah pretty pretty dull environment i would imagine just a bunch of dudes packed into a beige room doing math <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, really great tension. And then you have 
the super cliche group cheer when everything happens, but fuck you, it works. Hell yeah. There's no way that didn't happen either. Yeah. It, it's, I don't care. It's pretty rare that the group cheer doesn't get me a little bit every time. And when it's done well in a movie like this, it gets me really good. And who's the one guy in the room not cheering? Gene, Gene Kranz. <laughs> Gene Kranz, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> he just has the biggest feeling of relief on his face. He, Everyone else is standing up and cheering. He just sits down. Puts his head in his hands and just has this this moment to himself of like, oh, thank God I can unclench. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, and overall, just an absolutely great movie. Um, and it's here at the end when the uh, when the astronauts make it onto that uh, cr- uh, sorry aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see Tom Hanks shaking hands with uh, a high-ranking military officer. That's Jim Lovell. Awesome. And Ron Howard uh, offered to make Jim Lovell a admiral. He's like, well, you know, we'll put the admiral on you. And Jim Lovell's like, no. He's like, the highest rank I ever got was captain. He's like, so just make me a captain. Ah, that's nice. Uh, good old Jim, <laughs> just full of integrity. Too honest. Full of integrity. Mm. Full of integrity. Uh, and that's Apollo 13. Uh, was there anything that we skipped over that you wanted to touch on before we move on? I don't think so. Pretty, pretty in depth. Again, there's not really a lot to be broken down. A lot of these scenes Mm -hmm. just moves fast. Awesome. Just a lot of fun. All right. I got some trivia for you. Please. Uh, In the commentary track, uh, Marilyn Lovell comments that Tom Hanks exactly portrays Jim Lovell's mannerisms and style of movement. Weird. It just feels like he's Tom Hanks to me. Yeah. Hmm. Strange. Uh, Bill Paxton, Tom Hanks, and Kevin Bacon were all very proud of the fact that they weren't sick on the so-called vomit comet. The plane used to simulate zero gravity. The cameramen weren't so lucky. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that thing, uh, the the vomit comet, or maybe maybe I maybe not that specific one, but I've seen planes like that one. Yeah, there's a there's a show I used to watch on Discovery called MythBusters, where <gasps> they were doing a bunch of uh, zero g experiments, and they used to go on ships like or used to go on planes like that all the time. I Super fucking cool. love MythBusters. Hell yeah! I man, when, how long has that show been out of the air? Oh, That's... too long. I fucking love you. You know that um, Grant Tumahara died. Yeah, brain aneurysm. Yeah, he was like fifty. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you oh. know, um, if you're if you're hurting, this is just a, a small tangent, but if you're hurting for any MythBusters content, um, while it's not the same as MythBusters, Adam Savage has a YouTube channel where he just does woodworking, and I will not lie, I'm the least handy person of all time. I don't think I've stepped in a wood shop since uh, since I was in shop class in high school. I have fallen down that rabbit hole a couple of times. He is just so much fun to watch. I fucking love that show so mm-hmm. much. I love MythBusters. I'm happy to to know that about you. I think we must have talked about it once or twice we, before. We definitely have. But yeah, it's, it was a great show. Uh, the famous understatement was actually made twice by two astronauts. Jack Swargert said, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Mission Control said, this is Houston, say again, please. Then Jim Lovell said, uh, Houston, we've had a problem. On the recording, Swaggart is garbled at the beginning while Lovell is clear. So the recording of Lovell is often heard, leading to the impression he said it, even though Swaggart said it first. It's commonly misquoted as, Houston, we've got a problem, or Houston, we have a problem, because we've had implies the problem has passed. Ron Howard 
chose to use we have. Smart. <laughs> There's a, again, small tangent, but um, just in regards to this line, um, I remember watching um, the fuck. This is going to be such a nerdy reference. I remember watching uh, the world series or the NLCS 2006, I think, or 2005 between the Astros and the uh, Cardinals. And there was a, there was like, <gasps> is it the Albert Pool? Is it the Albert Pujols off Brad Lidge home run? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and there, <laughs> and there was a Houston fan in the stands holding a sign. I still remember this. This was uh, 16 years ago, and I would have been like eight years old. There was a Houston fan in the audience with a sign that said, "St. Louis, you've got a problem." <laughs> And I remember thinking that was the funniest thing, and I still do. It's crazy that what what you remember from when you were a kid, but I still remember that very distinctly. Oh, do you remember that Pujols home run off Brad Lidge? Not really, no. Oh, I, I know of it, but I don't really remember watching it. I remember it because it was in extra innings, and he fucking almost hit the roof. <laughs> I think I, I probably had to go to bed. I was super young. He fucking crushed it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember because uh, a friend of mine, Gino, is a, a Houston fan. He, he was a Houston fan. It was kind of like mm. his second team. He was always a fan of, like, Bagwell and Biggio and, and them. Killer and, Bees. Yeah, the Killer Bees. And I remember I remember texting him the next day after Pujols, and he was just so, so sad. Devastated. Devastated. Yeah. Um, Marilyn Lovell really did lose her ring down the drain. That wasn't an exaggeration or something made for the movie. That actually happened. Hmm. I was wondering about the inclusion of that in the movie. Yeah. Um, the line that Jim Lovell asked his crewmates, gentlemen, what are your intentions? Mine are to go home. Needs some context. While Lovell actually said this, it seems slightly forced and out of place. This is because when he said it on the mission, they were just coming out from the far side of the moon and had a critical engine burn coming up. Since it was Jack Swaggart and Fred Hayes' first mission, they were taking pictures instead of preparing for the burn. That's why Lovell said the line, adding, if we don't get home, you won't be able to have your pictures developed. <laughs> um, when Tom Hanks joined the cast, Jim Lovell sent him a telegram that read, Welcome aboard, Apollo 13. Aw, that's so nice. Somebody equally as wholesome as Tom Hanks. Yes. Uh, according to Jim Lovell, while Tom Hanks uses profanity in character in the movie, Lovell did not because he never swears. Oh, even more wholesome. Uh, many of the actors in Mission Control were being fed lines directly from technical advisors on set. Oh. Yes. Interesting. Uh, and on this is the last one. I thought you'd get a good chuckle out of this. Okay. Or an eye roll. One of the two. After the premiere of the film, director Ron Howard asked the audience members to write reviews of the film. While most of the reviews were positive, one review stated that there was no way the crew would have survived the mission. Apparently, the person who wrote it down did not know the film is based on a true story. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Shmoopsies. Uh, I've got some casting what-ifs for you. Please. Uh, John Cusack and Charlie Sheen were originally offered the role of Fred Hayes, but turned it down. Hmm. Cusack would have been okay. Yeah. Uh, Val Kilmer turned down the role of Jack Swigert. I guess probably to be in Heat, right? Nope. Ghost in the Darkness. Hmm. Uh, Michael Keaton was considered for the role of Fred Hayes. 
We like Michael Keaton, don't we? I I definitely do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Between uh, Spotlight, which we just talked about, and uh, Birdman was one that I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just watched uh, part of The Other Guys the other day. <laughs> the Other Guys? Is Michael Keaton in that? Yeah, he's uh, like the the Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg comedy. Mm. Uh, he's, he's, he's got like a bit part in it, and he's pretty funny. Okay. Mm. Uh, and I got two big ones. Uh, Brad Pitt turned down the offer to star in this film and chose instead to star in a movie called Seven. To star in this film? Yep. As Lovell? Probably Lovell, yeah. That's weird. No, he would have been too young to play Lovell, so he probably would have been Fred Hayes or Jack Swaggart. Yeah, uh, I could see him being Swaggart. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But not Lovell. And one other person turned down the main character role of Jim Lovell. John Travolta. I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, this is fresh off Pulp Fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Basically rejuvenating his career. Yep. Bringing him back from the dead, but no. There, anytime you cast Tom Hanks in a movie, it's difficult for me to see anyone else in that role. I agree. All right, favorite quote. I've got six. Yeah, there's a lot of good quotes in this movie. Go for it. All right, first up, uh, NASA director. This one, I, I was going to mention it when we were talking uh, about this moment in the movie itself. Oh, I can't believe we missed this. Yeah, I know but, what you're going to talk but about. But I, uh, I decided to hold off. Uh, this is the NASA director saying, this could be the worst disaster NASA's ever experienced. Gene Kranz, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that line. Uh, next up, I got Jim Lovell. Houston, we have a problem. Uh, next up, I've got two. Uh, well, I've got Jim, uh, and I just mentioned it before in the anecdotes. Uh, gentlemen, what are your intentions? I'd like to go home. Uh, this is from Marilyn at the beginning of the movie. It fucking makes me laugh every time. Uh, I can't deal with cleaning up. Let's sell the house. <laughs> I feel that. Uh, this one I have it here, but it's 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 Ed Harris's delivery. Um that really resonates with it. So I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but the line is work the problem people. Let's not make things worse by guessing. Mm-hmm. And it's a stress on that word guessing that really gets me. Uh, and the last one is an exchange near the end of the film between Jim, uh, Jim Lovell and Ken Mattingly. Roger that Ken are the flowers blooming in Houston. That's a negative Jim. I do not have the measles. <laughs> Good ones. All right, what do I have? One, two, three, four. I have I have eight. There's a lot of good quotes in this movie. Nice. To be fair, a lot of these come down to line reading, so I won't be able to do them justice. But I, also, I agree. Also, That's a big part of this of these quotes. Yeah. Oh, the writing is pretty good, but the performances of them are great. So we'll try to do them justice. Um, right at the beginning of the movie, um, we talked a lot about how uh, serious the Apollo 11 moon landing was and the watch party was. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks has a great quote. From now on, we live in a world where man has walked on the moon, and it's not a miracle. We just decided to go. Yep. Love that line. Uh, uh, number two, Houston, we have a problem. Number three, I don't care what anything was designed to do. I care what it can do. Uh, number four is a bit of a long one, but it's our, our boy Gene again. Um, 
Well, we're going to have to figure it out. I want people in our simulators working re-entry scenarios. I want you guys to find every engineer who designed every switch, every circuit, every transistor, and every light bulb that's up there. Then I want you to talk to the guy on the assembly line who actually built the thing. Find out how to squeeze every amp out of both of these goddamn machines. I want this mark all the way back to Earth with time to spare. We've never lost an American in space. We're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. Oh, that's in, that's in that first meeting scene. Yeah. Oh, great Delicious. choice. Great choice. Delicious. Um, uh, also, Gene, number five, I suggest you invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole. Number six uh, is Marilyn when she's been asked to put uh, TV equipment on her lawn oh. after having been ignored by all of the all of the stations and they wouldn't broadcast anything while everything was going right. And again, this is a line that I don't think I can do justice because it's the way she says it. Yes. She says, no, Henry, those people don't put one piece of equipment on my lawn. If they have a problem with that, they can take it up with my husband. He'll be home on Friday. And she begins to tear up a little bit at the end there. Oh, excellent. Oh, I can't (laughs) believe I left that off my list. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to read this one because it's even longer than the Gene one, but Tom Hanks has a great monologue about uh, instrumentation failure um, and the allergy leading him home. Mm, yeah, that's uh, on the news report. Yes, exactly. Yep. Uh, and then the, the final one, number eight, uh, is this could be the worst disaster Nash's ever experienced. With all due respect, sir, I believe this could be our finest hour. I'm having a hard time picking between two. My head says that I should pick the iconic line, Houston, we have a problem. My heart wants to go with the last one you just said. With all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour because it just really showcases Gene Krantz's belief and his leadership and his understanding that they have done everything right and that this is going to work out. So I'm gonna go with that one because gene is my hero with all due respect sir i believe this is gonna be our finest hour i'm picking that as my favorite quote mine is gonna be the big long gene krantz monologue ending with we've never lost an american in space we're sure as hell not gonna lose one on my watch failure is not an option awesome favorite scene i've got four okay i've got the moon landing party at the beginning I've got the Houston, we have a problem. I have the initial meeting with that ends with the monologue you gave. And I have the re-entry. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, the moment where they are told that they need to shut down the fuel cells. And they have that somber moment where he says, we just lost the moon. Uh, number two, the scene of Marilyn telling her son that the spaceship is broken and they don't know what's wrong with it. Uh, number three, the medical mutiny. <laughs> number four, the controlled burn. 39 seconds uh, of them uh, trying to maneuver towards Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, that Tom Hanks monologue about flying over Japan. Mm-hmm. And number six, the finale. Sam, what's your favorite scene? Oh, you're starting with me. Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. I think it's going to be... Um, you know what? I, I, I wouldn't have expected this coming in, but the controlled burn is really such a, a, a fantastically uh, constructed scene, and it's really one of the tensest moments of the movie, so I'm going to go with that. Mine's the re-entry, the finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 
so well done. It has me almost in tears at the end. It includes the, my favorite quote with Gene. Uh, I think it's just absolutely lovely. And that's another moment, I think, where Ron Howard really knows to take a pause. He knows to just let the score swell, let us look at the fear in the characters' faces, um, who are worried that they'll never see uh, uh, Jim Lovell ever again. Um, And they just take a moment, and it's excellent. Yep. All right, closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Yeah, so who was nominated? Uh, Kathleen Quinlan for Best Supporting Actress and Ed Harris for Best Supporting Actor. Deserved, deserved. Um, nobody is bad. I agree. Uh, Gary Sinise and Kevin Bacon are both quite good, but not not really anything spectacular. Uh, Tom Hanks. Looking Tom at... Hanks, if, if anyone besides Ed Harris and uh, Kathleen Quinlan would probably be my pick, but... I agree. I don't. I've only seen four of the five best actor nominees from this year, and I don't think I could. I could maybe take him out over Anthony Hopkins as Nixon, but I haven't rewatched Nixon. Huh. But I can't. I can't take Tom Hanks over Nicolas Cage, Richard Dreyfuss, or Sean Penn. Oh, you know what? I haven't seen any of the best actor nominees this year. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them yet. God, I got some work to do. You really do. Yeah. Um, other than that, I agree with you. I don't think anybody uh, – while I agree, I don't think there's any weak performances, but those are the only three. Two of them got nominated, uh, and Tom Hanks could have gotten nominated. Uh, what other aspects of the film were award-worthy? Were any missed? <laughs> yeah, it got nominated for like 10, didn't it? Uh, nine. 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 So let's take a look here. Uh so art so basically best costume and best makeup are really all that it's missing and yeah i don't think i could give it a nom in either one of those no the costumes are pretty by the numbers yeah. just ask nasa how they make their space spacesuits yeah screenplay score visual effects and art decoration art art direction and set decoration all in there so it got all the other nominations that it could that it could get uh and all worthy of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't have anything in there that I would take out. Just very solid. Technically mm-hmm. weak link of the film. Um, Oh boy. That is very tough. That is very tough. Um, is it the first act? Maybe. It's not even that bad. It's just not as good as the rest. I don't know. I'm struck. I'm. It's very difficult. I I got nothing. I really don't. I don't think there's anything that's really bad in this movie. I don't. This this might be one of the few that just doesn't have a fatal flaw. It yep. just it is just solid throughout. Was this anyone's career highlight? Surprisingly, I don't think so. I I guess uh, I don't know Kathleen Quinlan from anything else. So I have to imagine. Uh, it would be up there for her. That's fair. That's a good call. Let's see here. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Child. What would you What would you say Ed Harris's uh, career highlight is? Oh, that's a good call. Mm. Uh, wow. Wow, that's actually a good one. Um, I th- think arguably those two, Kathleen Quinlan and Ed Harris. 
Yeah, this could be Ed Harris's. Uh, when's Pollock? Is that is about it, Jackson Pollock? Yeah, he got nominated for Best Actor. Mm. And I can't seem to find it. There it is, 2000. So, Truman Show, The Rock, no. No, he never, never. The only reason I'm putting that in is that he was the actual lead and he got a nomination for it. So but it that it, was it, that's but that's nowhere near well critically it was great. It's not as popular. Well, let me let me phrase the question to you in a different way. Somebody hears us talking about Ed Harris just in a random conversation outside of this episode and they ask you Manny, who's Ed Harris? Who is he? Yeah, he's I would I would I would go. He's from a. For me to get the most people, most likely I'm going. He's from Apollo. Thir- he's the Michigan Joel guy from Apollo 13, or he's in the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah. By that metric, I think this is probably his highlight. Yeah, he's such a great character actor. I fucking I I'm a huge Ed Harris fan. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. Probably Ed Harris. Um, MVP of the film. Uh, well, much like we said, there's no weak link. It's tough to just pick uh, one one MVP. Um, gosh, might it be our boy? Might it be Ed Harris? It, it's I think rare to give MVP to a supporting role, but he uh, he really has the whole weight of the operation on his shoulders. Um. I think I said this last time we talked about a movie that had basically no flaws. I think I think it was actually seven um, where we were talking about this. Um, the cop out answer is just give it to the man who's in charge of everything, which is the director. Mm-hmm. Could just be Ron Howard. I was I was leaning towards Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. I was gonna it was gonna be tough between Ed Harris, Tom Hanks, and Ron Howard. I'm gonna give it to Ed. Sorry, I gotta do it. I love. I fucking love Gene. When I, when I, personally, when I think of Apollo 13, Ed Harris is who I think of first because I love that character so much, and I love. Yeah. The, I love the leadership, and I love the heart, and I love the belief he has in this crew that he is helping get these heroes home. And while this is definitely Tom Hanks's movie, I think Ed Harris for me is the MVP of the film. You know what a Tom Hanks fanboy I am, and mm-hmm. I don't even necessarily disagree. When I think of Apollo 13, I think of how awesome Ed Harris is. All right. What will be this film's legacy? I, I, it's difficult to say. I, I guess I have. I, I think you might, you might have a little bit better an angle on this, being somebody who was, you know, alive when it was released. I actually think it's an easy answer, and when I say it, I think you're gonna be like, "Oh, that's the answer." Hmm. The answer is Houston. We have a problem. Oh yeah, yeah. Good call. That's the legacy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, would you watch this movie again, Sam? Hell to the yes, I would. Would you recommend this movie to friends? I I definitely would. I definitely definitely would. Awesome. Same here. Yes to both. I've watched this movie numerous times. I will continue to watch it numerous times. And anytime, I actually just learned today a friend of mine has not seen this movie you got to get on that. Yeah. Uh, Sam, your final thoughts on Apollo 13. 
God, what a fucking great movie top to bottom. You have everything you could ever hope for as a film snob. You have spectacular performances by not just your leads, but the entire supporting cast. You have a plot that moves at a breakneck speed, especially through the last uh, little bit of it. Uh, You have uh, exceptional writing, both in terms of the dialogue and the plot, like I already said. Uh, You have James Horner giving me a score that I now have just fallen in love with in a way that I didn't expect. It is so excellent. Um, You just have a fantastic movie top to bottom, which I I am happy to see did uh, as well as it did at the Oscars. And uh, it's one that I have watched for the majority of my life and will continue to watch through the rest of my life. Uh, It's a uh, a breathtaking survival story. And I can't believe that it's a true story. And it's a, if this movie serves no other purpose, it should be to show the courage and the bravery that humankind is capable of. That's what I take away from this movie. I'm left in awe. This movie is just a joy to watch. 100% worthy of the nine nominations it got, worthy of the best picture nomination, worthy of everything all the praise and critical, both critical and commercial praise it got, worthy of it. This is a thoroughly enjoyable film. It's tense. It's fun. It's easy to watch, even though it's like, what, two hours and 20 minutes long. Doesn't feel like that at all. The movie is breezy and easy to comprehend, which is fascinating considering the actual amount of technical dialogue that they have to get through in this film. You don't feel lost in any way, shape, or form. And while they use terminology that you may not be familiar with it will not go over your head and you will understand what they're talking about spectacular performances throughout nobody's bad and there's two incredible performances from the oscar nominated harris and kathleen quinlan with solid performances from hanks bacon and uh bill paxton just an enjoyable film that i don't think uh I don't think I've met somebody that's like Apollo 13's a shitty film. No. Yeah. And you should do a 180 and walk the other direction if you meet a person who says that to you. Yeah. Um by the way, on the note of the technical dialogue uh never really going over your head, can I point out the absence of a trope that I'm very happy to not see in this movie? I've pointed this out to you in the past. The in English doc guy I I am I am so happy that we don't get some nerd explaining something in physics terms and then we get someone who also works at NASA going in English doc you know it just I, all these people are smart and yes the dialogue gets dumbed down sometimes like we get the one instance of the guy saying well hell you can't even run a vacuum cleaner on 12 amps but that's natural it's it's natural in the conversation mm-hmm. They, they have a very nice way of explaining naturally what they mean at certain points without dumbing it down to the point of a complete layman. I love it. Yep, I agree. Sam, what's your rating on Apollo 13? I am delighted to give Apollo 13 five stars. Nice. My praise for it isn't quite that high. It is a four for me. Really? Yeah. You're surprising me. You're you're cheaping out on me with these with these four stars today. <laughs> I'm excited about this movie with you, Manny. I know I can see that, but yeah, it's a, it's a four for me. I, I I love that you gave it a five. That just tickles my heart. As, as I'm not gonna lie, that's actually pretty surprising to me. Nice. I love I love that I can still surprise you after all this time. You can. Awesome. And you do. Sam, what's going on next week? 
next week we're going to be talking about a movie I've never seen before. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little surprised when I found out it was nominated for Best Picture, just based on my preconceived notions of it. Mm-hmm. That's the movie Babe. Yeah. 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 Talking talk pig movie. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I think I was like, the, the talking pig movie, really? Yeah, it's nominated for Best Picture, so sure, why not? Let's give it a go. Yeah, never I've... seen it. So, yeah, oh, I'd love it when we watch a movie you've never seen before. I mean, Babe is also pretty ingrained in the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I know most of what, ha- or most of the important stuff that happens in it, anyway. But I'm, I'm sure I'll have a good time. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I haven't watched this movie in well over 20 years, so I'm uh, I'm very interested in seeing why this was nominated for Best Picture. Mm. Okay. All right. So please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you give us a five-star rating and provide a little positive review, it will greatly increase our profile and allow more people to find this podcast. We're just asking you just give 30 seconds of your time. Just jump onto iTunes. Give us that five-star rating, and we'll be eternally grateful. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us at Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. So, for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Houston, we have a podcast. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!